Radio Mano Papachango. I stink a little bit. Not too much, just enough. I ran out of deodorant, well, the kind I like, this Burt's Bees stuff. And uh, I was in the grocery store last night. We were going to buy some more, but uh, we got to the checkout and we saw when she scanned it, it said insect repellent. It turns out that Burt's Bees sells insect repellent in exactly the same packaging they use for the deodorant. What the fuck, Burt's Bees? What are you trying to do to me? So anyway, we put that back and um, I ordered it on Amazon. But even with my super duper Amazon Prime account, which I ordered using my own affiliate link through the Chris Ryan PhD site, by the way, just a reminder, um, it's going to take a couple days till I get my deodorant. I don't want to go out and, and I've got this shitty roll on stuff that I bought in Spain, your basic pharmacy deodorant. But it makes me sneeze like crazy, and it smells it smells just like chemicals and shit. So I'm going a few days without deodorant. Now, I'm not a particularly stinky guy, but um, it's interesting to smell oneself because, you know, we don't. We cover up all that shit, right? We cover up smells. And I was thinking about this. Walt Whitman, one of my favorite poets, um, was probably a pretty smelly guy because he wrote about it quite a bit. He loved the body. I Sing the Body Electric is one of his most famous poems. And the other is a book called um, Song of Myself. I, I highly recommend that you check him out sometime, even if you're not into poetry, because he was, Walt Whitman was really like the first hippie. He was of undetermined sexuality. I think he was probably uh, bisexual. He didn't really hide it. He um, was, talk about a shame exorcist. That guy just refused to engage in shame. He was, by all accounts, a pretty strange dude, um, but uh, a rebel and a very interesting man. He went to the Civil War and volunteered to act as a nurse. And uh, let me tell you, there was probably, there have probably been few places as disturbing in human history as um, the sanitariums of Civil War soldiers who were suffering from everything from gangrene, you know, their limbs were rotting off and all sorts of horrible things. And he was there, you know, volunteering to change their bedpans and and uh, try to comfort them as they died. A very interesting guy. Anyway, Walt Whitman describes B.O. He calls it the scented herbage of my breast. Lovely, lovely phrase for B.O. <clears throat> and I was thinking, I was talking with um, David Steinberg, who's um, a sexuality expert, pioneer, rebel in his own accord. Uh, we recorded a podcast the other day in, in the park near here, and that'll be coming up in the next few weeks somewhere. And uh, we were talking about the sort of original sin of bodily shame that, you know, even Johnny Depp, if Johnny Depp eats Mexican food, he has a 
stinky shit the next day. And Johnny Depp's got to be sitting there or Penelope Cruz or, uh, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, the Colombian gorgeous woman everyone's so into. Wh- whoever you are, no matter how beautiful they are, no matter how esteemed and, you know, admired, they have stinky, stinky shits. And they fart in bed and they pick their noses and they do all this other stuff that everybody else does. And they know how far from their public persona their biological reality is. We all do. We all experience that split. But for them, the split's got to be just like a chasm, the fucking Grand Canyon, you know? The difference between the, the smelly, rumbling, gutted, biological being that one is versus uh you know the uh the cover girl bullshit that you're supposed to live up to uh that that's got to generate a lot of psychological difficulties um i got an email this week from someone uh who grew up in southern california and she'd heard me talk about how fashion models often have a lot of difficulties with sexual response and she said i'm not a fashion model but i grew up in southern california where can I read more about this um, or hear more about this? Because I, I suffer the same thing. And, you know, as I said to her, when you're swimming in poison waters, it's impossible not to get poisoned. It's just the way it is. You're a fish in a poison river. You're going to get poisoned. And we live in a society that tells us that this aspect of ourselves, these aspects of ourselves are to be hidden away, never spoken of. And by the way, there are all these great products you can buy to cover them up. You can mask the reality, the biological reality of your being. And that's a problem. I mean, I lived a long time in Asia where there are no, I mean, very few sit down toilets. Now, those of you who haven't traveled in that part of the world have no idea what I'm talking about. And you're going to find this completely disgusting. But the truth is that most of the people on the planet Don't sit on something when they're taking a dump. They squat over a hole. And that opens your butt cheeks, first of all. It relaxes your abdomen. And you end up taking a shit is letting go of something. It's not pushing. So it's much better for your body. Lots of I don't know what the statistics are, but a lot of people have heart attacks sitting on a fucking toilet trying to push a shit out. That doesn't happen. You squat down, the shit drops out, and then... Wonder of wonders, there's no toilet paper. And depending on the country or where you are, there's either a, there's a hose right next to the toilet or a faucet or a little bucket, that you, a little like pitcher that you pour the water over your butt and then you sort of wipe it with your left hand. So you're actually touching your shit every day. Okay, you're touching your asshole every day. In the Western world, that's not done. You wrap your hand up in all this paper and you, you know, do all this stuff so you can't possibly come into contact with your own shit. Now, that's pretty amazing because that shit was in your body like a second ago, right? And now you can't touch it. What the fuck is that? You were touching it. You were touching it on every side. You were enveloping that shit. And now suddenly it's something so far outside you that you can't even come into contact with it. Well, you're losing a lot of interesting information about the inner workings of your body there. And there are, there are doctors who used to diagnose all sorts of illnesses by studying shit. 
and piss. People, doctors could diagnose diabetes by dipping their finger in your piss and tasting it. If it tasted sweet, that's a diagnosis for diabetes. Now, of course, you got to send everything to a lab and piss in a little cup and do all this stuff. It's kind of silly. What's my point? My point is that by losing touch with our bodies, literally and figuratively, we impoverish ourselves. We create shame unnecessarily. We create psychological trauma that can block our sexual response, that can cause things like irritable bowel syndrome, where people actually have a lot of trouble with their digestive system due to the anxieties that they're building up, that they express. Some people express stress and tension in their back. They get back pain. Other people in their digestive system, they get they can't digest food or they you know get gas or whatever it is. Um, I don't know what the fuck is my point that, you know, you are at least partly your body. And to the extent that you're in denial about that and you're freaked out about it, that's a problem you're causing for yourself, that your society's causing and you're agreeing to play along with it. And um, so I think I, I did a workshop at Esalen a few years ago and I backed out, I chickened out, but I, I wanted to um, to ask everybody to shit in their hands and then come in and talk about it. <clears throat> but when I saw the group, I, I just didn't think they would go for it. So one of these days I'll do it. Maybe after this book comes out, if I get invited to do workshops, I'll have I'll do the shit in your hand thing. Because, I mean, what is it? You know, it's something that everybody freaks out about. Unless you have a baby, then you're used to shit, right? You're used to baby shit. There's an African expression. Uh, May you be lucky enough to have someone who shits on you. I think that's the expression. And I think what it means is may you be lucky enough to have someone who depends on you that you have to take care of to that level of intimacy that you're involved with their shit. I got to say, though, I, I'm kind of disgusted by it. I don't want to change any fucking baby diapers, and I don't want to change adult diapers even more. So, But I've come to terms with my own shit, so that's something. Hey, those of you who have um, signed on to Fund What You Love to support this podcast, I think there are 95 of you. Thank you so much. Um, there are some, uh, what are they called, uh, uh, bonuses. You know, if you sign at this level for three months, you can get a T-shirt or a signed book or whatever it is. Um, if you are due one of those things, please write to me and remind me because I know that a lot of people sign on at those levels and they've already got a T-shirt or they don't give a shit about T-shirts or whatever. So I'm not sort of automatically contacting everyone. Um, so if I'm, if you are owed something, uh, please drop me a line, let me know what and where to send it. And we'll get that out to you right away. Thank you again to everyone who is supporting the podcast. It's so cool. And so, um, I don't know, I'm a curmudgeon, but it makes me feel very hopeful when people pay for something that they can get for free. It's, uh, it's, it makes me hopeful for our species. Along those lines, I'm, I'm working on a section of the book right now about altruism, actually. And I've been looking into research um, by uh, guys at Berkeley, Keltner and Paul Piff, uh, Dasher, Keltner and Paul Piff. Very interesting research. And they've, they've done all sorts of uh, studies showing that the more money people have, the more assholish they become uh, generally and uh, or the more assholish they are, I should say. 
and they did all sorts of things like they they uh, monitor intersections and they sort of look at which cars cut other cars off or you know who allows pedestrians to cross and who just says fuck it and goes through and then they correlate that with how expensive the cars are and they find that overwhelmingly the more expensive the car is the more likely the driver is to be uh to disregard other people's rights you know the pedestrians and all that um yeah fascinating stuff they they did a my favorite study is where they sort of rigged a monopoly game where some one of the people starts off with extra money and an extra die die so that like I've got three dice you only have two so of course I'm going to do better and I've got more money and I start off with one of the properties already in my possession and and then what they monitor like the win of course you win because you've got all these advantages but then they monitor the behavior like they've got some pretzels on the table table and the person who is winning ends up eating more pretzels or like will drop more of them on the floor and they won't pick them up. They just become dicks, right? Because they've got money. So what I'm arguing in, in this section of the, of the book is that it's not, yes, psychopaths are attracted to Wall Street. You know, of course, there psychopaths are suited to professions in which you rip off old people and don't give a fuck in order to make, you know, a higher commission for your firm. That makes sense. But I'm also arguing that being in a position of wealth uh, conditions you to be a dick. Having money, money's toxic. Too much money is toxic. Too much water, you drown in it. Too much food, you get obese. You know, too much of anything, more than enough of any of these elemental things is too much and becomes toxic. And money is uh, subject to that same rule of diminishing returns. Anyway, it's it's an interesting uh, subject. So if you've been altruistic, let me know if I owe you anything and I'll be sure to send it out. I'll have my mom send it out to you. She's on the case. Interesting uh, song this week. I'm going to play for you from, you know, in our continuing series of amazingly talented listeners to this podcast. I uh, got an email from Carsey Blanton, uh, I don't know, a month ago or something. She was in Europe on the tour and she played uh, a private gig in Hamburg, I think it was. And she wrote to me and said, hey, I, I met this uh, really cool guy. He's a fan of your podcast. And he reached out to me. I guess, I don't know if he heard about it or whatever. His name's Joel Havea. And Joel heard me mention, I guess I mentioned this a few episodes back. He heard me mention, he sent me a um, an email uh, along with a link to his site. And he said, feel free to use any music if you like anything. And whoo, I do. He's good. Joel's very, very talented guy. He's from Australia, I believe, Melbourne, and he's cutting, uh, he's living in uh, Hamburg at the moment, I think. I'm not sure about that. But you can find out more about him at Joel, J O E L, Havea, H A V E A dot com. He's got a site there where you can listen to music, read about him, see his tour dates, et cetera, et cetera. Here's a song uh, called Going Through the Motions that I like a lot. Oh, 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 oh,
opposite instead try to control The earth is running through my head Have I missed it or is it just late? How did I get to be the one behind? I don't I try The thought I'm gonna lose my mind Wasting my time I'm working on the fucking fly Is it departed or is it so hard to see through routine reality so I keep lying looking myself in the eye who can argue with that I think the the point of this book I'm working on which you may have heard me mention once or twice is that in civilization routine reality is itself a lie and that's why it's so intoxicating in a negative sense. That's why it's so toxic because what I'm what I'm saying about altruism for example is humans are naturally altruistic. We we evolved in the social setting where sharing was life and selfishness led directly to death and banishment. The worst thing you could do is not share. 
in those societies. And I'm talking thousands of generations. And here we are since agriculture, those of us who live in agriculture and lots of some people still don't, right? Um, or they live in villages where even though they're agricultural, they're still small scale enough that everyone is sharing, like the Amish doing barn raisings and shit like that. My point is that when you live in a toxic society, normality itself is problematic. It's not a place to go and rest. It's a place where you're being fucked. So it's like you can never get a rest because, because your standard is wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you don't have a home where you can rest. You don't have a, you know, it's like people in bad marriages. It's like, well, fuck, I can't even go home. I can't go anywhere, you know, uh, where I'm going to be safe. So I think that's how we are in Western society. Speaking of not seeing through routine reality, I've been listening to a song, which I'm sure almost all of you have heard uh, by the who behind blue eyes. Nobody knows what it's like to be the sad man. You know that song. I'm not going to kill you with my singing. Well, I just listened to that song. I was on the radio this week. I'm driving down the road. The song came on. And for the first time ever, I realized the song is a fucking attack on the people behind blue eyes. It's making fun of them. It's giving them shit. Pete Townsend is fucking pissing on, I guess, punk rockers. And listen to the song. Next time you listen to the song, keep in mind, there are two very different voices. There's the sort of ethereal, no one knows what it's like. And, you know, it's asking for pity. You know, I'm so sad. It's so hard to be me. But then it switches and he says, if my fist, uh, if I, if my fist clenches, crack it open before I use it and lose my cool. If I smile, tell me some bad news before I laugh and act like a fool. You know, and I'm, you know, the like sort of rock and roll chorus. And then he says, if I swallow any, if I swallow anything evil, stick your fingers down my throat. So if I take some bad drugs or something, you know, call an ambulance that's going to save my life. If I shiver, please give me a blanket. Keep me warm. Let me wear your coat. So what he's saying is like, oh, yeah, I'm a rebel. I don't need any people. Fuck all you. But, hey, you know, if I if I take some drugs or I overdose or I, I get cold, you know, take care of me. He's Pete Townsend's giving shit to those guys. Never realized it. All the times I've listened to that song, never noticed it until last week. This week's episode is with the founders of Jumbo Superfoods. Um, they... Among their offerings are cannabis edibles, but they also have all sorts of other stuff. Um, dirt, I think it's called, or mud, I forget right now. But uh, the healthcare products that are, you know, um, holistic and uh, and good for you and not full of chemicals and bullshit. Um, I don't normally have people on here who are selling things or who, you know, have companies and stuff. But um, I met these guys at um, Aubrey Marcus's house at dinner. And um, they're really nice people, very intelligent, interesting folks. So it's not I didn't have them on as a way to promote their stuff so much as to talk about their experience. Uh, they're young. I, I don't think they're I don't know if either of them's over 30, but they're, you know, they're young, creative, interesting people who started a company. And it's uh, they're I think, two companies at this point, and they're going really well. And they're sort of in this cutting edge um, economy of uh 
of things that are their businesses and they're they're selling stuff, but they're trying to have a positive effect on the world at the same time. So I thought that was a worthwhile conversation to bring to your attention. And uh, it turned out to be a lot of fun to hang out with them and, and hear how they got into this stuff and what they're trying to do with their lives. Um, I've got a lot of interesting podcasts coming up. I've been really um, touched and, and honored by some of the people who've agreed to chat recently. I uh, spoke with the third uh, vet yesterday, went out to a, a farm that he's living on and had a really nice conversation with him. Uh, John, he'll be, that'll be coming up soon. I've got three, I think I've spoken to three vets already. Uh, I don't want to put them all together, so I'm going to spread them out and sort of pepper them into the normal uh, rotation. Uh, I spoke to a smoke jumper. That'll probably be in a couple of weeks and spoke to a woman who's, um, husband went in for some surgery and when he came out of surgery he had forgotten their entire life together 15 20 years something forgotten everything it was all gone um so here's this guy who she's been living she's lived with her whole adult life and he doesn't remember who she is and he's different than he was uh in many fundamental ways so um you can imagine and it wasn't going to come back. It was gone forever. Um, so she's got a hell of a story. Her name's uh, Sonia Lea. She wrote a book uh, that's coming out soon. So I'll release that podcast. Uh, I think it's next week um, when her book comes out. Uh, Wondering Who You Are is the name of her book. Anyway, good stuff coming. Thanks for listening. I've yammered on long enough. I really appreciate your support on Fund What You Love and those of you going through my Amazon link at Chris Ryan PhD or buying t-shirts, mom's sending them out to you. And looks like we're going to have a new line of t-shirts, the talking out my ass line, um, which has a, I think a chimpanzee uh, hanging out in a hammock talking into a microphone, which seemed appropriate. And that was uh, designed by uh, a listener as well. So once we get those printed and ready to roll, I'll let you know. In the meantime, thanks so much for your support. Thanks for listening to the podcast and telling your friends about it. And hope you're having a good summer. All right, here I am with uh, with Joe and Shannon. We're going to talk about the the inner workings of this new business that's happening in the world, in the, or at least in the United States. The the uh, intelligent approach to the use of Cannabis? Are we talking about cannabis or marijuana? What's the difference? Um, well, uh, so cannabis sativa is the scientific name for the plant. Right. Uh, marijuana is kind of a political term. Oh, okay. um, it also has a somewhat scientific meaning in that it tends to refer to strains or breeds of the plant that are high in THC. And that can be juxtaposed with hemp, which is considered to be oh. um, the cannabis sativa plant with a low THC content. Right, so which is more industrial rope and and fibers and that sort of stuff yeah oils too so if you think of um canvas right comes from cannabis oh really yeah so all canvas is made from hemp um cordage clothing right uh, and then people can eat it with hemp oil hemp seeds uh it's a it's a magical plant that's been used throughout history and time immortal when the U.S. Constitution is written on hemp, Yeah, which is rather ironic. Yeah, I, when I grew up in Pennsylvania, there was a, a place called Hempfield Township, just down the street from where I lived. 
And uh, I remember someone telling me that it was, if you owned a farm in colonial America, you needed to set aside a certain percentage of your acreage for hemp because it was so important for the national security, essentially. Someone also, I, I think I read in, uh, is it The Emperor's New Clothes, that uh, sort of famous marijuana book um, about uh, Napoleon, that Napoleon, oh, thanks, I'm, I'm getting a pillow here. <laughs> In the yoga workout zone, um, Napoleon invaded Russia in order to secure the hemp imports from the Ukraine. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that, but uh, when you consider the resource wars that have occurred, and then you think about how useful uh, the plant is, from yeah. everything from clothing to food to rope to all the sails of all the ships back in the day, that, like that was a strategic right, thing. Yeah. And then now what we're learning about the um, immediate therapeutic effects of THC and then the long-term um, benefits of CBD and the other cannabinoids. Uh, you know, I mean, wars are fought over oil. I don't think we should have resource wars, but I could understand them, you know, hemp yeah. being kind of... Yeah, especially for a Navy, as you say. All the sails, because the oils in the, the fibers stand up to seawater better than Yeah, all the else. sails and all the ropes. Ropes, and also the caulking between the, the pieces of lumber in the ship. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, without the hemp, you've got no Navy. And then also as a, um, you know, you can try the plant, as we all know, and it, it persists. It lasts. It doesn't like rot or whatever. And yeah. it's a great medicine. Right. So I'd imagine on the on the, the long voyages, uh, one, it's got to be boring. And two, I'm sure there's <laughs> yeah. all kinds of problems. Right. So, uh, right. you know, and anti-nausea. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like the best thing for seasickness. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about today. The miracle plant, whatever we want to call it. And I've got Jumbo staring in my face. So Jumbo the dog, who is our little Buddha, Italian greyhound, Chihuahua uh, inspiration. Um, we named the company off of her, not super intentionally. Uh, we try to do a lot of things with intention. But when we were, when I had this crazy idea to do this, uh, Shannon made the beautiful packaging, which I invite everyone to see. It's really cool. And we needed a, a name for the to kind of put on the on the package. I to needed hold a placeholder, it. so when I designed it, it at least like I knew how to justify the text. Right, right. And so you had her face there. No, no. I had designed the whole background and the badge that holds the title of the product, but we didn't have a, a title to put in there. So I was like, Joe, I just need a word to put in here. You know, you needed a code name. Yeah. Oh, right. And design is called an FPO for placement only. Uh huh. That you can change later. Yeah. And so we're like, what should we, what should I put in there? What should I put in? I don't know what to put in. I'm like, what? I think Joe had said, like, why don't we just put Jambo in there? You know, she's perfect. She's a little love Buddha, chill out yoga dog. So we put it in there and then it just kind of stuck. Well, people started, really liked it. We started giving people kind of the prototype mock-ups of it, of, yeah. the, of the package to them. And we thought that people would think that was a silly name and come back to us. And, you know, of all the feedback... We thought that was just one of the things we would refine, but everyone was like, oh, yeah, those jambos were fantastic. Like, da, 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 da. And it just kind of wasn't even an issue anymore. It was kind of like of all the things we had to do, yeah. like naming the thing was kind of like already, you know, it was done. the check mark <laughs> was there. It was great. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And ultimately, if you have a good product, the name, it, the name is one of those things you think is so important at the beginning. And then later you look back and realize it, it doesn't really matter. Unless you get yeah. a really, really bad name, then yeah. it does matter. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. John was pretty good though. John was great. Yeah. That's a good name. And it's do, got, do you know, do you know the background of the word Jumbo? No. 
So Jambo uh, is hello in Swahili. Oh, okay. And uh, when you came in, I think you saw the picture of me um, at the Uhuru Peak. Yeah. Uh, so I spent some time in Africa. And uh, so not only is Jambo the greeting, but it's it's like... Um, like you know, Yaman kind of—it's—it's it's like a cultural thing where everyone's jumbo, jumbo, and there's jumbo bank, and there's jumbo supermarket, and there's you know everything's jumbo everything, and it's such a fun word because people don't just say you know jumbo like here's the jumbo package. They're like jumbo, and when I was there, I thought it was such a fun word. It would be a great uh, name for a dog because if the dog—I never had a dog, but I imagine dogs would always be running off, and when you want to call the dog, you'd be like jumbo. And uh, so I ended up coming back um, from Africa, and this girl selected me. And uh, so then we named her, and then here we are. Here we are. It's a good name. It's better than the name I heard. I was staying in Alaska many years ago uh, in this big tent city zone, where, and these, these people had this little dog. And I remember the dog went running by my tent with a bloody tampon in its mouth. <laughs> And the woman came running after it, screaming, free base, free base. <laughs> free base, really? Like, that's what you name your dog? <laughs> yeah. I think you're asking for the dog to seal bloody dampers. <laughs> you name it free base. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, it doesn't encourage the best behavior, no, no. does it? Well, it's a, it's a really good name for her because uh, I think I used to live, now we're in downtown, but I used to live in Santa Monica and I'd walk her. And she was like my little ambassador. I'd take her for a walk and she'd run up to people and, and she was like my hello to people. You know, right. she would bring people into my life. Yeah. So that way she yeah. kind of lived her namesake. Yeah. And then now with our products, um, you know, we think that they foster community and get people talking and introduce each other. So it, right. it works. Right. So what, what are your products? Let's, let's get that out first. Um, sure. So for Jumbo Superfoods, we have um, uh, a pretty good line. Uh, we have a line of truffles. And we have five different ones. Um, we start with our cookie dough truffle, which is made with cashews, honey, almonds, cacao, raisins, uh, pink salt. Did I miss anything? I think that's it. Yeah. So Simple. it's just all these great um, organic whole food ingredients. Mm-hmm. And we combine those together and we make this just delicious um, whole food, uh, gluten-free, soy-free, wheat-free, paleo-certified truffle. And we sell that just as a snack, and that's a fantastic thing by itself. It's really delicious and chewy. Yeah, we should get you one. Yeah. Maybe, oh, I, maybe I can have someone bring one over. Oh, I thought you had a big stack of them back we there. Do, we do, we do. Gonna... <laughs> oh, you mean bring it over yeah, from the yeah, other yeah, room? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. Gerson. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, we take that truffle and we fuse it with uh, traditionally used non-toxic plant medicines. So we have um, our Boost product, which has... Matcha, which is ceremonial green tea, and uh, Brahmi, which is scientific name, Bacopa monieri. It's an Ayurvedic herb used uh, for thousands of years for mindfulness and meditation. Kind of functions, the modern term would be a nootropic. Enhances brain function without any side effects. So that's kind of like a a shelf-stable mental boost. And then we also have... um, our Relax product, which is the same cookie dough truffle but infused with kava kava, mm-hmm. which is a psychoactive herb from the kind of South Pacific. It's grown in Hawaii and um, Thailand and Indonesia. And that uh, has a very pronounced effect. Tastes really interesting. Have you had kava? I have. There's a kava bar in Portland that was mm-hmm. just down the street from my office. 
when um, Dennis McKenna was in town, he suggested we meet there. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so that was my first Kava experience. Did, did he tell you about it beforehand? Uh, I'm sure we, we talked about it, yeah, yeah. But uh, by that point, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. Was, yeah that was a fun night. <laughs> so then we, we also infuse it with um, cannabidiol, which is CBD. Uh-huh. It's one of the uh, 60 known cannabinoids from the cannabis sativa plant that's being found to have uh, incredible therapeutic um, and healing benefits. Oh, you are very, very conscious. I saw you put your finger like that a minute ago. Because I'm wearing headphones and I, uh, I hear what the listeners hear. And as Joe was talking, he just tapped the floor a little bit. And which, I, which you even mentioned that people do that. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I was Maybe thinking, planted like, that seed. I don't want to interrupt him, you know. And then I saw you pick up on it. That's good. Wow. I'm uh, pretty good at orchestrating a ideal situation. I'm like, that flashing light's going to distract people. I should turn it off. Yeah, <laughs> she's wow. constantly making me into my best self. Oh, man. That, that must be both wonderful and exhausting. No, just, just, just wonderful. <laughs> My wife's trying to make me into my best self, but she gets a lot more resistance. Mm. You know, I give Joe a lot of resistance. I, I like my <laughs> not best self pretty damn much. You know, I've been doing that a long time. So, <laughs> well, no, when Casilda and I got together, it was you know I think a lot of couples have this like you know you're going to help me get where I want to go, and I'm going to help you get where you want to go mm-hmm. or where you need to go. And in our case, she was working so hard. She had like 60, 70 hours a week. You know, she's uh, working in a mental hospital and she also had private clients. And and I had been fucking around trying to finish my PhD for about five years at this point, you know. And uh, But she was working really hard and had this shitty apartment in Lisbon. I mean, it was terrible. You go in there and there were like... Uh, cables hanging from the ceiling with a bare bulb you know that's how shitty yeah. it was the view authentic out, <laughs> the view out the window was like a parking lot it was just like what a depressing place meanwhile i was living in this mansion full of fashion models with flowering trees and a rose garden as one does pool, lives in. Yeah. driving no i was in barcelona and I was, uh, you know, I had a BMW motorbike, and I was just like, uh, yeah, no money. <laughs> Ciao. Yeah, I was working 12 hours a week teaching English to doctors, completely hand-to-mouth, but my quality of life was amazing. Yeah. So our thing was, you're going to help me work harder and get this shit done, mm-hmm. and I'm going to help you chill out, right, and increase your quality of life and work a lot less. That seems like a good... Yeah, it's yeah. a great, great thing. So, you know, she did. She helped me. I finished my PhD. I published a book. I got all this stuff done. I'm still trying to get her to chill out, though. It's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Because she, she works hard when she's relaxing. Huh. You know, it's, yeah. it reminds me of there was an Onion uh, headline years ago, and it's something about, like, you know, yoga, world yoga championships. And, and there was a guy. That's, that's an oxymoron, right? There. Know, exactly. And there was a guy, like, you know, shaved head with his arms in the air saying, I am the serenest. <laughs> I am the most enlightened. Exactly. I, have the, I have the smallest ego. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I am humblest. Fuck you. Anyway, so I interrupted you. Yeah, so uh, I was talking about this, the cannabidiol uh, truffle. Oh, you tapped your damn fingers. That's what got us off. Yeah. yeah okay. All right. And then, All right. And then she put the blanket in front of me. Joe so doesn't can... ever lose track of where he's at, though. So oh, that's, that's fantastic. Why I, don't, I don't worry about being like, hold on, let me fix this. Okay. Good. Go. All right. So back to the cannabidiols. <laughs> yeah. And we can talk about that uh, more because it's, it's a very popular uh, thing uh, and very timely right now. 
Uh, but just to go through the line, and then we have our um, our hybrid THC truffle, which um, is the one that uh, is psychoactive, creates the euphoria, which is um, prohibited in much of the world. Euphoria. Prohibited euphoria is yeah. a good phrase. Yeah. Well, I mean, literally, uh, when I, I have my my ear kind of the pulse to this, uh-huh. and um, there are a lot of these. They call them CBD only bills that are being passed through state. It's you know this. The end of prohibition and the legalization, whatever you want to call it, is 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 moving, and it's yeah. like a wave that's coming through. And it's it's not like there's it's a binary switch. It's like a thousand points of light that are illuminating all over. Just yesterday or two days ago, whatever when this gets published, but Puerto Rico's uh, governor just signed an executive order that enabled medical marijuana. Oh, so really? it's just kind of happening like right. all over the place. Right. So they have these um, CBD only bills that are coming out uh, specifically to allow this one thing. Because it's it seems to be so incredibly magical. Is CBD is the chemical that's primarily involved with helping these kids who have uh, seizures and those conditions that were highlighted on the Sanjay Gupta uh, program? Is yeah, that right? yeah. So CBD is the uh, the molecule, the cannabinoid that uh, they're finding has all these incredible therapeutic effects. Right. So right. from the seizure thing, I mean, I mean, I we just. Uh, we had a guy, we were at the Paleo Effects um, conference in Austin, Texas, which is where we connected, and we had a guy talk to someone on my team, and um, he said he was an EMT, a yeah, former, he's a veteran, and he had always heard about how these, you know, he always just thought pot was just for stoners that wanted to escape from reality. Right. And he had a call where he picked up a, a kid that was having a horrible seizure, and the parents gave him... Um, some CBD oil, and he administered it to the kid, and the kid, the seizure stopped immediately. And it was just one of these examples of like this guy, you know, paradigm shift, yeah. you know, like wow, my whole life, and he just saw it in action. Um, so it's it's a weird thing because there's like these there's anecdotal evidence, and there's more and more um, research that's published. I've got a list of over 100 NIH studies that they're showing answer tumor, anti tumor. Right. Cancer. Yeah. Uh, all these different things, but it's really been hampered by, you know, 50, 60 years of prohibition, not only on possession, but on research. Yeah. So there hasn't been a lot of like long term clinical studies with follow up and all the good stuff that. And then that was part of their excuse of, you know, this kind of like, well, there's no research and they wouldn't let the research happen. Yeah. Yeah. That, that enrages me. Yeah. The, the maps, are you familiar with Rick, Rick Dobbin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we him. talked about him at dinner. Oh, you've met him. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah he's, had, he's had a jumbo. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I vaped with Rick the first time. I think that was my first vape experience, actually. Yeah, I don't know. That won't get him in trouble. No, no, I don't no, think no. so. I don't think well, so. I mean, considering his organization is uh, heavily studying the effects of MDMA, yeah. I think that him smoking a joint isn't like going to be <laughs> it's news. It's not going to worry anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're talking about the CBDs. And, and uh, back to the prohibited euphoria. The CBDs don't have the psychoactive, as much of the psychoactive effect as the THC. Yeah, so really no psychoactive effects. None at um, all. Some people report kind of like a like a body high kind yeah. of feeling of wellness. Uh, you know, some people don't report anything. Right. But and it's good pain control, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's not it's interesting. I've read research on this and and Casilda has uh, looked into this as well with it it doesn't deaden pain. It somehow allows you to integrate the pain without 
being disrupted by it, mm. which is a very mm. interesting difference, right? Because they're always trying to block pain receptors, yeah. as a, which is dangerous because pain is sending your body sending you a message via pain, right? And you don't want to ignore the message, but you also don't want the message to overwhelm you to yeah. the point where you can't function. Yeah. Um, and so what I've read about this, the CBD and the pain control is that it, it's not blocking pain receptors. It's doing something on a deeper, more structural level. Well, that's kind of endemic to the Western approach to medicine in general as we try and yeah. stop and interfere and change things when really it's more uh, the body's designed to, to work through things. Right. And when you allow your, your sickness or your pain or you know, whether it's physical or emotional to flow through you and you experience it, it goes away faster. Right. And it, usually the core problem that's causing it is healed. And this is something that people need to understand when they experiment with any hallucinogens or anything that yes. alters consciousness. Because, you know, and again, we, I'm sure we all agree the mind-body separation is purely artificial and linguistic. And when people confront a fear... Uh, and, and move through the fear, then they, it, it dissipates. And if they turn away and run away from it, it just grows bigger and bigger yeah, and bigger. You have to surrender into it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I am uh, very graciously a very healthy person, and I don't have a lot of pain. So I don't have a lot of personal experience with the, the effects of it. But um, what I do know is uh, taking the THC um, side of the cannabis plant, um, if you do any kind of uh, yoga, but particularly like stretching, um, typically stretching as you get to kind of like your threshold point can become very painful and it's like your body's kind of screeching, they're like, don't do this. But under the effects of the cannabis plant, um, it's almost like a pleasurable pain mm. when you're doing it. It's, it's like a weird transmutation of the, the sensation where like you kind of want to, oh. it, like it, it hurts good, you know? And um <laughs> I'm sure that's kind of like an analog effect of what's happening with the CBDs too. Yeah. The, the most limber I've ever been, which isn't saying much because I've never been a particularly flexible person, was in this little town in India, Pushkar, in Rajasthan. It's this amazing little village where there are no internal combustion engines allowed in the village mm. and no meat. It's a sacred place. It's built around this little lake. And they've got um, banglasis. Because mm. it's a sacred town. Do you, are you familiar with Bang? B-H-A-N-G? I am familiar with the, the word. Yeah, it's an old uh, Indian Hindi, Hindu um, preparation of marijuana. And it's, it ends up like, I don't really know how it's made, but it ends up looking like green uh, tofu. Huh. Sort huh. of. Because a lassi is usually like... Mel- it's like a milk yogurt milkshake. Yeah, so mango ones. Yeah, right. Well, what they <laughs> Less do is they fun make sounding. <laughs> they make lassies and they put bang in it, right? Uh-huh. And you drink it, and it's just it's the smoothest high ever. I mean, generally you know, edibles are a smoother takeoff, right? Yeah. But this stuff is just so nice. You forget you you took it, and then an hour later you're just like. I remember, I can remember perfectly well walking down the street one day after drinking one of those and looking at this cow and just thinking like, I get it, I get it, now I get India. And for a month and a half I had been like, I hate this place, it's so irritating, all these flies and people asking me for money and all this asshole. And just that one day it was just like, ah, right. 
Anyway, so I, I was living on this rooftop, and I used to stretch in the sun, in the winter desert sun. It was just perfect to get into your muscles, but not burn your skin, and the buzz from the bang lassi. And, so do you think that, you know, that's yeah. interesting how you said how you had this whole paradigm shift about the entire culture yeah. from this plant? Like, maybe that's related to the prohibition. Because, I mean, the Good fact point. that you could say that you, like, totally just were kind of frustrated with this whole society, yeah. and then you took the... The mist, the sacred plant, and then all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, I'm at peace now." Right, right, and it's right. like, is that kind of what they've been trying to withhold from us? Is this, this peace? <laughs> I think so. You know? yeah. I mean, it's just happy. crazy to hear like these stories yeah. that just yeah. you know, anecdotal. You're just talking. Yeah. It's like, hmm, what's going on here? Well, yeah, I mean, these are you know, I'm sure we've all thought about these things a lot. The drugs they approve of are the drugs that get you to mindlessly follow orders. The drugs they don't approve of are the ones that make you question the orders. Yeah, right. So, so I put them in, in two buckets. Uh, you have the entheogenic um, mm-hmm. drugs, so and and then theos, so towards God, the ones that bring you to God and kind of our ego dissolving. And then there's like the atheogenic gods, so kind of like atheist, like not away from God, not away from sacred, and right? Yeah. Exactly, and they kind whatever of drive God you. Is your God? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's just the sacred, the divine, yeah, the, the yeah, non-ego yeah. state. So if you think about nicotine, um, alcohol is a really good one. Someone's drunk and you're like, hey, man, you shouldn't drive. They're like, I'm, I, can fly, I can drive. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. good. Yeah. And, and that, that just supreme confidence in oneself as opposed yeah. to, you know, those are okay. But the ones that kind of make you <laughs> exactly. compassionate. Yeah, yeah. Chill so out. back to this product line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's going to be the whole show. It's just Joe going through the truffles. <laughs> yeah, well, the well, what truffles. The, uh, there's another word, truffle. Uh-huh. Truffle's a problematic word. It is. Because I thought truffles were these fucking mushrooms that pigs are digging up in <laughs> France and they cost a million dollars a pound or whatever. But then I see in the store, grocery store, truffles. Well, mm-hmm. they don't have any mushrooms in them. They're mm-hmm. so it's chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. Well, maybe right. in 2020 we'll have some truffles with mushrooms in it. There you go. Oh, real mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> i have to retrain well, the, the pig. The, sac- the sacred cow, man. I mean, I think yeah. that's part of why the cow is so revered is that the cow produces the mushrooms. Oh, now we're getting to, to McKenna again. To <laughs> food of the gods. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. All right, let's finish the yeah, truffle so line. Sorry. So that's the that's the final one, and that's our um, kind of famous award-winning... Uh, cannabis cup winning. Yeah. Oh, guy. cannabis everyone, cup everyone winning. Everyone talks about the, the THC hybrid truffle is like the, really? the hot girl at the prom. Well, I'll tell you, I, I think I mentioned to you uh, when we met in Texas last week that um, I heard, I th- I've seen your stuff in, in shops, you know, in, uh, what are they called? Dispensaries. 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 Yeah. Um, but uh, the, you got a great shout out from Joe Rogan at, uh, he was doing a show in Portland and he came on stage and he, the first thing he said was, I got to warn you, I ate one of these things and he pulled it out of his pocket and he's like, I think I might be too stoned to do this show, but I'm going to try. Somebody had just given it to him and he thought it was a single dose, I think. And and you you told me it was like five doses or something. Well, I mean, it really depends on the person and we can talk about um, how to dose edibles responsibly later or now or whatever. But uh, for some people, um, one of my colleagues can take down a whole one and... You know, he's all right, um, and I think it's enjoyable for him. But for myself, and, and I have a lot of experience with them. A whole one would be a would be a would be a, a psychedelic episode. Yeah. I mean, it would be a very yeah. very intense, probably not enjoyable. And not and that's. I wanted to make that point just so people listening to this who are unfamiliar with edibles, 
there's no, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but my understanding is there's really no physiological danger of overdosing, eating too much, but it's a terrible experience. You'll be spinning and feeling like shit and paranoid, probably, whatever. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so you'll be all right. Yeah, you, you'll be fine. Yeah. The next day you'll be like, oh my God, I acted like such a weirdo. <laughs> but that's about it. Cannabis yeah. is non-toxic. Yeah. And um, I actually was talking to a friend of mine about this, and I was telling him how no one's ever died from cannabis. Right. And he said, that, he said, that can't be true. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I've, you know, the drug war, and they've said how bad it is, and yeah. this is your brain on drugs. He's like, surely, in all time, someone's died. Yeah. And I said, no, no one's ever died. And he said, well, can, you get me, can you get me a source on that? So I went looking, and I figured, well, why don't I go right into the belly of the beast? So I went to the DEA's website, and uh, on their page about marijuana, their, they have the marijuana page, uh, they say there's never been a reported death from cannabis. Right. So, uh, yeah, in terms of physiological harm, I don't think that's a big concern. Um, but from psychological uh, discomfort is probably the way to say it, because I don't yeah. think it's really harmful. Even when people take a big dose, it could be therapeutic in an abstract way, because I think what uh, happens with the psychedelics, and I consider cannabis to be in the psychedelic family, mm. is that uh, everybody kind of has this these this kind of dark darker aspect of themselves and, and trauma and experiences that, that they've carry with them that they all kind of like shove in this closet and kind of close the door and they're like all right I don't I'm not going to deal with that you know my mom did this thing or I was abused when I was a child or I got, you know whatever this baggage that we have and uh, the psychedelics seem to in varying ways open that door and allow the stuff to come out so um, you know if you if you use it in a non recreational way which is a funny word that that's the word they use for casual use because recreational is actually a, a spiritual term to recreate oneself to mm. be reborn to like you know it is it is the, the spiritual use of it if you think about it but um when people that are not familiar and they take a heavy dose it kind of can open up that door more so than they intended and it can flood them with with trauma and things that they kind of need to work through and i think that's something that that we, people should do as a practice as a human is is to take some of these medicines and kind of do that work and process and allow this stuff to come out and, and just express through the body and mind and um, you know move through that and with my personal experience you can kind of move through you know almost all of it I mean you can kind of move through and process your baggage and that allows you to go deeper down the spiritual path um, so that's kind of what's happening so when people take a large dose and they kind of blow this door open. Um, I think of cannabis as kind of like, it kind of melts the, the hinges of the door and allows it to spill out. You know, um, LSD is kind of like taking an ax to the door and like smashing it open. Uh, you know, same with kind of mushrooms. And then you can get into the more powerful um, DMT containing uh, psychedelics. Uh, you know, ayahuasca, DMT. It's kind of like setting a bomb off and just there's no more door anymore. You're just, you're just in with that and you're in with everything else. So um, in that way, I don't think that there's a, there's a huge risk of harm in, in that sense, but, but lots of discomfort. Yeah. Do you think, is marijuana, uh, is it possible to abuse marijuana? Um, well, tell, me what, tell me what you mean by abuse. Use it in a way that's counterproductive to your physical or mental health. 
I think you can use anything that way, really. You can use shoes that way. You can use coffee. You can use heroin. You can use anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you can definitely use it in a way that you're escaping your problems mm -hmm. or the outside world or your family, much like you can do with anything else. And I think that is kind of what people think of the marijuana culture as. Currently, we have a lot of the like stoner dabs are very popular right now. Dabbing is a super concentrated THC. Um, you, you basically like vape it and it's a really high dose. I've never done it because it doesn't call seem, it, it doesn't call to me personally. I'm a, my personal disposition, I kind of like things as close to the way mother nature made them as possible. Mm. Um, but there is that culture and that's kind of what we're trying to show people. There's this other side to the cannabis plant of a more spiritual, more personal development, uh, more healthy use of it. That's still fun. It's still lots of fun. I love to eat the jambos and go do yoga. It's one of my favorite things. I just feel very empowered. It yeah. gives you a lot of um, body awareness. Yeah. And it, it, you can feel like all the small muscles in your, your joints, your rotator cup, and it, it makes you feel more... To me, it makes me feel more like an animal. Like I'm yeah. really in touch with myself. Yeah. You know, I like I like to take it and like work out. I like go to CrossFit even, right. and you know, definitely low dose when you do that because you have weights. You don't want to drop it on your foot. But uh, no, I, I get that too. Like much more bod bodily awareness. Yeah. Unfortunately, since I'm not in great shape, most of that is like, oh shit. You know, I'm much more, I'm much tighter than I thought. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, but, but that can be therapeutic. It in is, a way, right? it is, yeah. because it's your body communicating. Me, yeah, like, exactly. hey, dude, you know, you got to stretch. You got to like, <laughs> you know, stop sitting that way or yeah. this way. I mean, I can yeah. give a, another personal experience. I, I had a um, a rough breakup, and I'm sure everybody has. And and there was a period a long time ago when uh, I knew that taking cannabis, kind of in a way, kind of deadened that that pain a little mm -hmm. bit and allowed me to kind of escape from that. Right. So. Um, I don't know if that was bad because yeah. I was using it to kind of help myself in a way. But sure, I mean anything can be abused, yeah. uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of a lot of that occurring in the culture of, of you know if you if you smoke some weed and uh, you know watch some silly movie and eat a bunch of potato chips and drink some coke and just flood yourself with sugar you know cheap sugars and toxic food additives you know that's not that's not good for you. Right. And a lot of the the other products on the market, the edibles. And this is really why we, we created Jumbo. Um, they're made with high fructose corn syrup and a lot of the stuff. So just by consuming it, like de facto, you're abusing it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I do. And, and you're taking something, not you guys, but the culture is taking something as it does over and over again. Something that's beautiful and has all this very positive potential and packaging it, transforming it into shit yeah. as they do with everything, you know? And so as you say, like even on a meme level, right? It's like promote this idea that what do people do when they get high? They watch TV, mm -hmm. stupid TV, cartoons and, you know, toxic bullshit coming into your brain. They sit on the sofa and they eat chips, Mm -hmm. Right? What a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> say stupid shit. Exactly. You know? And there's absolutely no... There's nothing in the substance itself to suggest that that's what you should do with it. And people, like, drop acid and go to a bar? Oh, well, my what God. What the fuck are you doing? You know? it's That's against the essence of that substance. It's completely disrespectful. 
And then they have a bad time, and they blame yeah. it on the acid. Like, yeah. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Well, so, so what's really interesting about cannabis in that way is that um, I kind of had this insight when I was down in Peru uh, with a mutual friend of ours, and we were going to go drink ayahuasca. And uh, the ayahuasca ceremony is, is held in this structure called the maloca. Yeah. And um, the whole thing is very ritualized, and there's a dress code and a shaman and procedures and, and process that's you know a lineage of hundreds if not thousands of years and uh as you walk up and go into the maloka there's a, there was a table right outside of it that had um, a little tea service so a couple different kinds of tea hot water you can pour yourself a thing and i was struck that okay you've got like the tea in the most casual offering possible anyone can just go anytime and like just kind of pour themselves a cup of tea but tea is a is a narcotic it's a drug caffeine is a is a mental nootropic you know stimulant you can be addicted to caffeine you can have mm-hmm. withdrawals from caffeine sure. so in that sense it's a serious thing i mean our culture really just kind of gives it a pass for some reason yeah probably because we sell it everywhere and everyone's <laughs> addicted to it um yeah. and then you know you took one step over the threshold and you had this you know extreme reverence for this molecule and what's interesting for about, the ayahuasca for the ayahuasca yeah, yeah. And uh, so what's interesting about cannabis is that it kind of straddles that whole spectrum. Mm. Like it can be a very casual thing. And if someone wants to wake up and say, you know what, today I'm just going to take a bong hit when I wake up and just relax and go get a massage or watch the stupid cartoons or whatever, like that's okay. But it can also be used as we're going to go use it right after this interview. We're going to go do a Kundalini yoga class Mm. uh, with the medicine. And that's, one of the most profound spiritual things you can do and it, it, it's towards that kind of ayahuasca right. side of the spectrum right. so in that way it's like this incredible versatile you know and then it's non-toxic it's really it's pretty magical in that yeah. way it's like the Leonardo da Vinci of plants what do you mean it just does everything it's like a renaissance plant yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes t-shirts yeah makes you spiritual it yeah, gets you in touch with your body plant, makes cooking right. oil yeah. <laughs> does everything. Yeah, skin cream. Yeah. Right? It's amazing. Um, interesting, you're using the word medicine, and I, I hear that word used a lot, particularly pertaining to ayahuasca. Yeah. But, and it's, I'm, I'm not completely comfortable with it because medicine to me connotes disease. And I feel, and, and this circles back to something that you were saying, a point you're making, that, that these things can be used by someone who's very healthy to just be more healthy, Yeah. right? They're not covering up something or counteracting necessarily. In fact, they don't. I think that's the point that we were all making. They don't really work very well for counteracting things. What they do is allow you to move through them mm-hmm. and transform them and, and evolve past them. I, I wonder if we can, as a culture, find uh, other terminology also, because medicine, you know, it, it's, it's scary. Medicine scares me. Take your medicine. Sounds negative, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's part bitter. of it is because... It's bitter, yeah. yeah. Well, we have this... Um, I think the, the frame that we're dealing with is the, the scheduling frame of, right. from the government. That, right. uh, you know, it's a Schedule One drug with no medicinal use. Yeah. And what that implies is that for adults to have access to, you know, a flower... It has to have some therapeutic medicinal use. You're right. And um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like saying that, uh, you know, unless you need knowledge to, like, solve a problem. So it's like, oh, like, I want to learn plumbing. And I want to go get the book and just learn about plumbing. And they're like, well, do you have any plumbing problems in your house? Right. And you're like, <laughs> well, no. They're like, there's nothing's leaking. 
You're like, no, you can't. You're forbidden to have access to the plumbing knowledge. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like we can't just enhance ourselves. <laughs> we can't just like get healthier or more spiritual. Like right. for some reason, there's this prohibition prohibition on you know, like it has you have something that has to be wrong with you when um, you know. I don't know if the people that are making these decisions and who they are, but I mean, come with me to my yoga class and, and take one of my take come to my Kundalini yoga class and take one of my uh, jambos and you'll have a a growth experience that's that's the inverse of of just therapeutic healing. I mean, it, mm. it'll push you forward and challenge you and cause you to grow in many different ways. And it's it's a lot of things, but you know, insulting comes to mind that. Some other adult can tell me that, you know, unless you're sick, you can't use this to make yourself better. Right. You know? And that they know better than you about what, what better is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, well, we won't get into that. I mean, I've got this whole theory that our culture is led by the losers. And, and by loser, I don't mean the ones who are losing the game our culture is promoting. I mean people who are so psychologically imbalanced that they're desperately chasing power, money, fame, whatever. Right? They're the ones who emerge as the leaders because they're the ones who are most desperate to be there. Mm-hmm. People who are healthy, you make a million bucks, you're like, all right, that's care. enough. You know? I don't, I'm done. You know, all right, sell I'm your company go and go like, hang out for exactly. a while. <laughs> like, why would you bother after Let's go to a Tahiti, point? all right. <laughs> I worked for these millionaires in New York years ago, and uh, the, the old guy, the sort of patriarch, was in his 70s. They owned all these buildings in the Diamond District, right? And they were really wealthy. This guy had a house in Jamaica, and the, I think in France, and like really wealthy people. And he occupied this interior office with no windows, right? Because the windows offices sold for more. You could rent them for more. So the management office was this no windowless interior vault. And he sat behind this big wood desk and drank Glenfiddich scotch. And one of the companies he owned was extracting um, precious metals from hearing aid batteries and apparently there's some hearing aid batteries that have them and others that don't. And you can tell by looking at them. So he had these big uh, jars of hearing aid batteries. He'd come into the office and he'd get his cigar and his scotch and he'd dump them out on his desk and separate them into two different piles. You know, the ones that would go to the kilns or whatever and the ones that didn't. This guy's probably worth like $30 million. And that's what he did with his yeah. days. So why do you think that is? Well, I asked him that. And, uh, you know, I, I said to him, like, I don't... why. You know, why, why, what are you doing here? And he said, he said, well, you know, at a certain point, money isn't money anymore. It's points in yeah. a game. And I like winning the game. Yeah. And but I just you're remember like totally thinking, losing you're the losing game. the game, dude. You, you won, you know, take your trophy. Yeah. 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 So I, I have yeah. a theory about that. What's that? Um, well, I think that our culture like has a scoreboard and they have for the main thing that's on the scoreboard is the dollar bills. Right. right. And that's that's how you win, is you get more points and you rack this up. Like, you, like this guy said, he's winning and winning and winning. But uh, what we've kind of realized, and I don't think this is a huge insightful thing, but there's there's multiple metrics to the scoreboard, right? There's there's time. You know, how are you doing on your time? What are your relationships like? Right. You know, how stressed out are you? How healthy are you? You know, what what's your community like? How spiritual are you? What's your connection with you know everybody else? So there's a lot of different things. Um, that you can kind of, how, how much sex are you having, right? Is it good sex? So all these different things are all different ways to kind of like measure, you know, 
how are you winning at life? But the culture never talks about that. And we just talk about money and everything, you know, bling and all the rap songs. And it's all about this kind of like this money thing. So then I've meditated a lot. Why, where's this come from? And I think it's really, and this is just my wild guesses, but it, it probably harkens back to the depression era where, um, material abundance was very, very limited. And if you can't feed yourself or wash your clothes or clothes, you know, that kind of stuff that becomes very, very important. And that was kind of like a valued thing where if you're starving and other people have, you know, money, they can buy food and that kind of like momentum built up and just kind of like kept going and going and going and going. And there hasn't been like a reset of that where people, cause now we're in this super abundant world people don't understand like how much money there is because like not only is there so much money but it's the growth every year with all the, the stock market you know 10 percent. there's just billions and trillions of dollars like being created and generated and it's all over but because people think like the way that they win is by accumulating the money they aggregate it but if we could have a way and i'm not a political scientist but of re kind of balancing the scoreboard and people mm. realize like oh wait i have i'm really high in this one thing but I'm low in this other one, I got to recheck that. And what, what the universe does or life is that I found that the more the disparity is between these different aspects of yourself, it creates tension. So it's like, there's mm. like a, um, a potential right difference between like your, your time and your money or your recreation, and your money. And as they pull, it's like a rubber band. Eventually it snaps. And that's why we have these like midlife crisis and people have all these different problems because they're just so out of alignment. Yeah. And you have these people that are incredibly abundant in raffle tickets, you know, but the rest of their life sucks. Right. And it's like, you know, you can look at it kind of somewhat objectively and say like, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Well, he's just so biased and has so much inertia and previous investment and in like winning by having his bank account be, be big that, you know what, sunshine and time and all those other things, like I'm just going to find out which batteries have cobalt in them and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, if you changed your compass from being just monetarily winning to something else, it's hard when you become so good at making money, you're an expert in it and you have to go learn how to relax or how to create things or do art or whatever hobby you want to pick up. Then you're an amateur again. Right. And you might it's not have been an amateur ego. for years. Yeah. yeah. yeah and definitely. I think people feel a lot of resistance to becoming an amateur. Yeah, I, I consciously make sure that I do things regularly that I'm bad at. Uh, That's a great practice. Like I play basketball three times a week with, and I'm the worst guy on the court, <laughs> like obviously by far. Uh -huh. But you know the way I look at it, I sweat more than anybody, yeah. right? And um, like I don't give a shit. I suck. So what? You know, yeah. like you got to learn how to accept failure. Uh, and I think you're right, as, especially men. I think women are more cool about you know, the nuances. But I think men who become successful, mm -hmm. then they just get stuck there because they're terrified of looking silly. And, yeah. and, yeah. and let me give you another uh, thing that just reminded me of. I think there's a, a societal, institutional um, momentum for this because what, what we've kind of realized with our, you know, we're sitting on the floor in our little yoga room here and, and every day uh we practice for quite a bit of time i'm in a full lotus position by he's the got way his foot behind his head actually yeah i'm it's amazing you should see how and he's not sucking he's way better at this than basketball <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know if you take a little bit of of the plant 
drug medicine. I don't right. know what word you want me to use. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Use the word. No, it's it's not you that's bothering me. It's it's the. But you're right. It's what it's doing is it's taking the word back from drug. Yeah. which has negative connotations in the society to yeah. medicine, which is positive. So, so yeah. okay, so if you, if you take a little bit of that and you do um, a meditation, and I'm actually, one of my, one of the things we're doing with Jambo is producing guided audio meditations. Mm-hmm. That, so we think that, you know, as part of providing the medicine for people, also providing behaviors and activities for them to do mm-hmm. while on it is right. kind of part of this re, re-characterizing you know, pot is not just being for the stoner culture. Right. But, you know, if you take a little bit of this medicine and you do a meditation, you know, you can spend a couple hours and you don't have to go anywhere. You don't need any special equipment. You don't need, you know, you don't need to consume to do that. Right. Like you can be at your house and, and if you have friends with you, it's better. Like there's more energy. And the fact that you can just be on the floor with your body and just breathe and have more fun than you'd have, you know, playing a video game or watching Jerry Springer or whatever, you know, CNN, the, the, that, that negative beam of programming. Um, no one gets rich from that, you know? Yeah. You're not buying anything. So I think that that's part of it too, is that, is that the system, I don't know if there's people in a room that have figured all this out and they're like, let's bias against like cannabis. I mean, that is the default of where we are. So in a way, I could see the conspiracy theorists, but... I, I just think it's kind of this institutional momentum towards like getting people to do the behaviors that feed the system and perpetuate it and get people to consume and then people get rich. Yeah. Yeah. And miserable. So they'll buy more shit to try yeah, to so it's like antidepressants yeah. and then they won't be unhappy yeah. and they'll eat yeah. shitty food, which makes them sick. It's like this whole, yeah, I think thing. institutional momentum is a good phrase for it. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's anyone in room in a room figuring this stuff out. Because I think the people who would be in the room are themselves also victims of this. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I'm writing in this book I'm working on now. I don't know if I mentioned this at dinner the other night. I had this harebrained idea about uh, institutions as an emergent property of human consciousness. Okay. And that the institutions are themselves a life form mm-hmm. that uh, we become incorporated into yeah and the agenda of that life form is completely disconnected from our agendas as beings so it's like a a certain number of fish come together and they form a school and that school is headed toward the nets and you know for some reason the school itself whatever the school is wants to do that even though the individual fish none of them particularly want to do that mm-hmm. right yeah, and totally. it's so that's how I sort of feel we are. And people like you are, are like fish who are going, wait a minute, there's a net up there. You know, let's peel off here. And, and I wonder if there's a, a critical mass of fish peeling off where then the whole school peels off, you know, the yeah. hundredth monkey thing, which, by the way, is fraudulent. Uh, there was no hundredth monkey phenomenon. But just as a metaphor, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's hope so. And, and it does seem, you, know, you were talking about the thousand points of light, and I saw someone just a couple of days ago showed me a graph. Um, that was me. Was that you? Yeah. You pulled it up on your phone <laughs> yeah. at dinner. Okay, yeah. That's Smart crazy. guy, I showed this to you. <laughs> really on the pulse. This great guy, this, this guy who wouldn't shut up at dinner. No, <laughs> no it's, uh, yeah, well, explain what the graph was. It was um, so it was graphing the speed of uh, American opinion on various social issues over time. And it was using um, 
let's see, I think there was like slavery, uh, women's suffrage, uh, reproductive rights, um, prohibition, uh, gay marriage, and the use of cannabis. And it was basically showing that, you know, like the slavery thing took like 70 years from the first um, abolitionists, yeah. that's what they were, yeah. to like, and what they did is they charted the number of states um, that reversed over time until it like there was some kind of landmark decision whether it was the supreme court or a constitutional amendment and you know from like the from when like the first state went uh you know legalized gay marriage to like when it went kind of totally mainstream they were showing that the time periods are, are speeding up right and that's just a fractal of what you know whether it's moore's law or the singularity concept of the law of accelerating returns like a change is happening faster and the speed at which it's happening is happening faster too right so the way i envision that is like water circling a drain Mm -hmm. the closer you get to the drain the faster it spins Mm -hmm. um do you think there's a, a point at which acceleration goes so fast that the whole thing just blows up no i think it's kind of the opposite because if you think of a drain and the water's circling and it gets faster as it goes through the drain eventually it goes through the other side of the drain and kind of it's become something different it slows down again into a new sort of to use a kind of cliche word paradigm it's almost like when you eat a little bit too much cannabis or you do the stronger drugs it's like the entire society is facing its sort of closet demons right now and it's very fast and some people can't handle it and some people Mm. are excited and as a whole organism, we're kind of going through this self-realization process of like, oh shit, we haven't really dealt with all this stuff, right? all this history, and, and we need to change it. We need to confront it. And, and you're seeing, I think, more quickly, people are, are realizing this and they're saying, okay, yeah, we can't run away from this anymore. We have to face the way we're treating the environment or ourselves or business practices or whatever you know the, the topic of the day is. But I think after you hit a critical mass of that, then you kind of shift eras. Very interesting. I'm reading a book right now called The Art of Not Being Governed. Mm. It's a very interesting book about the region in Southeast Asia that runs from northern Vietnam through to Pakistan in the Himalayas. And And there are all these tribal areas up there Mm -hmm. that have resisted being governed forever. Um, just because it's too hard to get up there, you know, you can't get armies up there. You, yeah, you can yeah. bring the whole U.S. Army in and it still can't. As has been demonstrated. Yeah, in the right? Soviet Army. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but his point is that now for the first time in ever in history with drones and train tracks and, you know, you can, you can set up systems to actually fuck with people up there yeah. you know bomb them into submission find the uh, the, th- the batteries with the minerals in them right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right exactly <laughs> but uh, so his point is for the first time in history there's nowhere to hide anymore uh-huh. there's no escape and that re- what you were saying reminded me of that where you're saying like fi- finally people are turning and confronting this stuff maybe because on some cosmic level, there's no there's nowhere to hide. There's so no escape from it. There's this great line by Arthur Miller, the playwright, who said, "An era can be considered over when its basic illusions have been exhausted." Mm-hmm. And I look in the last 15 years in in this culture, 
all the illusions that have been exhausted, right? That banking is a decent conservative enterprise that's working for all of us and you know you can trust your banker that the you know the priests are you know the word of god you can trust them that like politics destroy your marriage yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly the negative one the the dangers are discredited as well as the the positive things right so so i think if you took that uh that graph of like the speeding up of the change and if you could overlay that with the the speed at which information disseminates there's probably a big correlation. Right. And I think that the, my theory about why we're seeing all these changes, social changes happening, not only here with like the gay marriage thing and the cannabis thing and uh, all this other stuff, but even in the Middle East and all these other revolutions, is that um, like bad ideas don't survive the internet well. Right. And the fact that people have propagandized like what we we're considering to be bad ideas um, over and over and over and over again. And if you have just you know a couple of channels of information and, and you can kind of keep that messaging out, then that becomes the consensus. Yeah, like when there was only four TV channels and like the you know New York mm. Times. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. easy to control that information. You right. know, and we know even the New York Times with the Judith Miller thing right. and the WMD, like even that's kind of compromised. So when you have that those those channels of information are beaming out the messaging, you know, if you go ask uh, you know, my grandparents or whatever, like what they think about cannabis, they're going to be like, oh, you know, drug addicts. And like, there's that, where does that come from? Right? Well, that comes from this messaging over time and time and time again. But then when you can get on the internet and you can go, like, you can go look it up and be like, well, actually, it's helping kids that have cancer or tumors. Right, right. Like, the bad ideas don't survive. So I think, I think you have that. And then what you're also having, and I've seen this effect with people, is that. Once they're realizing that the cannabis or you know isn't killing their brain, it might actually be making it better. Or the gays aren't destroying your 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 family; they're actually increasing the property values, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And once they're once that. they're realizing that they've been lied to, yeah. Then they're like, well, what else am I being lied to about? Right. Right. Like if if cannabis is actually curing cancer. Well, what are those mushrooms doing? That's why, that's the only sense in which cannabis really is a gateway drug, Mm -hmm. right? And I think for so (laughs) many people, they've, they've gotten high or they, you know, my wife is a psychiatrist, right? Always taught cannabis is bad. Don't touch it. She actually had a job working for Volvo in Portugal um, because her, she has two medical specialties, psychiatry and um, occupational medicine. So she was the doctor who would administer the drug tests and mm. report on what was found, right? Or if somebody seemed a little weird, they'd send, you know. Um, You're a little too creative. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what do you mean? That's a, Anyway, so uh, she had no experience with this. But even then, she, if someone came back positive for marijuana, she wouldn't report it. Oh. She'd just bury it, you know. Um, because she, she knew she could just tell, like, that's not a bad guy. Yeah. You know, that's not a guy with a problem. Yeah. Right. But, uh, why, what am I talking about? Oh, right. So when we got together, you know, so for the first time she was with somebody who she trusted and I had all this weed I was growing on my terrace. And so she was curious and, um, it was so funny cause she was 39 years old smoking weed for the first time. And she was like a giggly teenager, you know, like, because most of us smoke the first time when we're teenagers. I thought that was about the age, you know, it's not, she was just laughing so hard, but totally convinced she wasn't feeling anything, you know, it took (laughs) a while to integrate it. But then once she got it, she was just like, this is 
this is it. I get it. This is, oh, that's why people do this. Mm. Wow. This isn't making me stupid. This is making me smart and relaxed and happy. Yeah. And like, wow. You could just see this, all this propaganda falling away. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, but then other things like cocaine or whatever, no, not, not interested. <laughs> not, not at all. Well, yeah. that would be more of an atheogenic, yeah. completely different exactly. effect. You know? exactly. And it's super refined from the plant. Yeah. You know, like coca leaves. Right. They're, they're not super strong. They definitely get you going. Right. But then you take this plant, this beautiful leaf, like much like a tea leaf or something, and you refine it down to a white powder. It's so much more concentrated, it, it, it amplifies the effect, and it's almost like a completely different substance. And it eliminates all the other molecules that are in that plant, yes. which have buffering effects and complementary effects and all Teaching sorts of effects. different things. Yeah, exactly. Effects we have no concept of yet. Well, that's sort of what I was referring to earlier when I said our culture has this predisposition to take something beautiful and complicated mm-hmm. and make it simple and ugly and dangerous, simply because it's easier to plug into the pre-existing paradigm which is ugly and dangerous you know but you know what is an interesting thought i just had when you were describing the the cocaine thing versus cannabis and how you're you're happy to do the cannabis but the cocaine is like a what's interesting is that yeah i've i've done cocaine a handful of times and never really that's her um i've never really enjoyed it that much um and i've never done heroin and i haven't done bath salts and i haven't done a bunch of these things uh, but what's interesting is that, like, you know, the, the the big thing with the bath salts that everybody talks about is, like, this guy in Miami that, like, ate someone's face off or something. Right. Did you hear that story? I heard that, right? yeah. And uh, that's a great, that's a great meme. I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to eat your face off and I don't mm-hmm. want to be turned into that. But if you go back to um, uh, when they started before the DEA, there, it, the institution had a different name. It was, like, the... Drug Enforcement Board or something. You know, the name changed, but there's this guy. I think this is right, and I know your listeners are going to fact check all this, but I believe the first guy was Henry Aslinger. Aslinger. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's this great quote from him about how you know if you do marijuana, you're going to listen to jazz and you're going to be <laughs> satanic and right. you're going to go rape white women. You'll hang it, yeah, right? because you're black, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that that messaging isn't so far afield from like you're going to eat someone's face off on the bath salts thing, right. right so it's like i don't want I, i'm not advising anyone to go eat bath salts i don't really understand the molecules very well but it's just very interesting to like kind of see that fractal pattern again that like yeah. is it really that bad you know yeah. like maybe this is just another instance of them the propaganda machine spooling up of again of course and they repeat themselves they do it with war too right yeah. every time they're demonizing mm-hmm. someone they use the same stuff right they abuse children mm-hmm. they're raping our wives that you know it's all the same they push the same buttons i had carl hart on this uh, podcast a year or so ago you know who he is i think he was on rogan's show and i yeah the name's actually familiar. yeah he was yeah um he he's a he a neuroscientist at Columbia University. Really cool guy. Dreadlocks. Grew up in Miami. You know, bad neighborhood. And just like very uh, unlikely scenario that he ends up being a tenured professor at Columbia. Right. <laughs> and so he's a truth teller because he sees what's going on. He told me something I didn't know, which ties into this, which is that, um, you know, methamphetamines... Is the same molecule as Adderall? Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, meth mouth has, is bullshit. That's complete bullshit. What happens is a lot of people who use methamphetamines are really poor. 
So they can't go to dentists and they're using the money. They're eating shitty food because they're using the money on the drugs and all that. But there's no no chemical uh, cause. There's a correlation, not causation. Correlation, exactly. But, of course, the, the messaging is mm-hmm. meth will knock your teeth out. Yeah. <laughs> it's complete bullshit. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and it kind of will uh, under the current paradigm. Like, this reminds me of, of the cocaine thing, which is interesting, is that uh, the couple handful of times I've done cocaine, um, it gave me this very anxious feeling, and it made me feel like I had to defecate, take a shit. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know if that's because it was the the molecule itself, or because I know that a lot of times they cut it with baby. Uh, um, right. What's the laxative? Yeah, yeah. laxative because yeah. it, it has a similar nasal smell and effect or whatever. Right. So then it's like, and this is the whole thing we can talk about is how the prohibition has caused like so many weird unintended consequences and problems where you know you can get meth mouth and you can have all these other bad experiences and you can have these toxic overdoses because people don't know what they're doing. They don't know yeah. if the stuff's clean. Uh, we saw this documentary um, Dance by, Safe. by this organization, yeah. Dance Safe. And what they do is they go to festivals and raves and they set up a booth. Yeah. And anybody that comes in and wants to have their drugs tested, they'll do it. And the, the conclusion was, like after you know 10 years of doing this, like 90% of the of the pills that people thought was MDMA was bath salts, right? So it so then I was like, hmm, well maybe bath salts is like a similar effect to MDMA, but it's not exactly. I, I don't really know, but that's that's just messed up that like that outcome is happening from it. And then the other weird outcome that I thought about when you said terrorists, you're going weed on your terrorists. I thought you said terrorist. Oh. And they always say, you know, <laughs> if you're buying drugs, you're funding terrorists. Right. Well, that's also another thing related to the prohibition because the cartels and the terrorists are running that right. business as opposed to, you know, farmers in Colorado. Right. Right. So instead of that money being recirculated in our economy yeah. and staying in America and creating jobs is going and, you know, getting fast and furious guns. Right. Yeah, it's it's the catch twenty two. They set up the game and then you know blame you for playing it. Yeah, yeah. It's like with the research, right? Well, there's no good research showing that you know MDMA isn't toxic. Well, you haven't let us do any fucking research. <laughs> yeah. You know, come on. Well, yeah, because they, it, it's known to induce euphoria. Right. Yeah, you can't. The you prohibited can't euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> so what what were you guys doing before you became um, you know cultural revolutionaries? <laughs> Cultural revolutionary. Wow. I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I think I just got a CV. promotion in life. <laughs> um, I can, I can take it first. Um, so, went to school at the University of Florida, and uh, studied building construction, and uh, learned how to build big skyscrapers. Uh, went and worked with my dad in Florida, or actually went and worked for a big construction company in DC, and decided that the corporate world wasn't really. My thing, and um, so you're an engineer or architect. Um, I'm a general contractor. General, but you said you went to school. You went to school for that. Yeah, they have a building construction school in ah. University of Florida. Oh, okay. So you primarily mm-hmm. study physics mm-hmm. and capital flows. Because mm-hmm. if you think about if you're building a big building, like you need to, like what are the key things you need to know how to do? Right. Like one, you need to make sure that the building is strong and it doesn't fall down, and you also know how to. You have to be able to like get, handle, and dose out the cash flow streams. Because if you build a $50 million building, they don't give you $50 million on day one. Right. They're like, okay, when you pour the foundation, like here's a million dollars, pour the foundation. When that's done, we'll give you another million. When right. the slab's done, you know, and they kind of tranche it out. Right. So that actually has been very useful in my later life. Uh, went, didn't like that, went home, worked with my dad, and uh, 
managed a pretty big size construction um, service company. And then um, we talked about Africa. I went to Africa and I uh, went to the mountaintop. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and I did some soul searching and introspect- introspection all sober. Um, and just realized that I, I kind of was coming into my golden years and I wanted to do something more than uh, just kind of managing this family business in my dad's shadow. And he's an awesome guy and a great mentor and I've learned so much from him. But I kind of wanted to go do my own thing. And mm. You just called me a cultural revolutionary, so evidently I'm doing... It was a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I uh, decided to... I was going to go do my own thing, and I, I wasn't really sure what that was going to be, but I packed up what I had and what I wanted to bring into my forerunner, and I drove from Florida to California, and I thought I would end up in either San Francisco or uh, Boulder, because I... the I was under the impression that's where startups were. Mm. And I was going to go do a startup. And on my way, I got uh, sidetracked by the the beautiful beaches of Santa Monica. Mm. And once I got there, I was like, I'm sure San Francisco is great, but like, this is pretty good. You Mm. know, I'm really digging this place. And I started um, working at at the Coloft, which was kind of like the first uh, co-working space. And it was kind of the progenitor of Silicon Beach, which is now the big tech scene in Los Angeles. Right. And I started a uh, company called This Is Backpacking. And the idea was uh, when people want to go on, like say you want to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro or you want to do a safari. So I did, a, I did a safari in Africa before I did that. You can hire these tour groups and they will like handle all the logistics. But then when you're done kind of booking it, they're like, okay, we're going to send you the five page packing list of all the stuff you got to bring. So the simple idea of the business was that we could go and source all that stuff for you. So if you were going to go on this trip, we could just say, instead of having to go to 20 stores and track down all the stuff, you could just say, Oh, you're going on the, you know, GA adventures, Kenya safari. Like here's the, if you want all the best stuff, here's the premium package. And here's like the less expensive package. And it's still a great idea. And I, if someone wants to do it, do it. And maybe, maybe (laughs) throw me a couple crumbs. Um, So I started doing that for about 10 months. And I invested a lot in it, and uh, we got our first customer. And while I was doing that at the Coloft, it was it was like it was beginning this tech community in LA, and they were having all these events. And one of the events is called Startup Weekend, and the idea is that you get about a hundred people together for the weekend, and anybody that has an idea for a business can pitch the idea to the whole group, and then the whole group votes on the ten best ideas that they like. And the people that, that get that, you know, whose idea it was, they then go into the group and recruit people to join their team. Mm-hmm. And you kind of start on Friday night and it's like pencils down on Sunday afternoon. And then there's judges and, you know, what have you done? And you try to create this business in a weekend. So I did it two times. Um, and I learned a lot about like the event and how it worked. And, and, I, and I realized that like you could go into it wanting to win in like this abstract way of like you win the game but you could also go into it and think about like hmm i'm gonna get like five or six super talented people that in multidisciplinary ways and if i had kind of like a plan to like leverage that talent and like really focus it like we could get a huge amount of work done in like a really short period of time so that was kind of my idea was was i had this idea um i had been living in la and i was getting exposed to this you know yoga healthy culture and I was trying to eat better 
And I found there's all these little health food stores and, and they have these little boutiques and they would have these, these healthy snacks there. And I started getting addicted to kale chips and all these things. And I was like, man, the food is great, but the traffic is horrible and going to these places really sucks. So if I could just tell a, you know, if I could just tell my personal assistant, who I, I didn't have a personal assistant at the time, but if I could just tell like a shopper, like here, here's the, the quality standards I have for the food, just go get this for me. And, and it'd be, uh, it can be a surprise, you know, just make sure it's high quality stuff and it tastes good. And, and I'd like that. I thought that would be a great service. So I thought I could go into the startup weekend event with that kind of concept. That was my pitch. And I had done some groundwork in terms of like, okay, what would I need? I need a web developer. And like, what is that going to going to do? And I needed a designer and I need the logo. You know, I had all the assets like listed out. So I was like prepared. So I didn't really care about winning in the sense, but I wanted to like, see if we could like really move this idea pretty fast. So on my third startup weekend, I pitched healthy surprise. And the idea was this personal shopping service that would curate high quality snack food. And Pitched the idea, it got selected, and then um, ended up making. I went to Whole Foods and I went and I bought all these snacks and I actually made the boxes. And we ended up selling, we sold out, we sold like 30 boxes I made, which was kind of ambitious at the time. I spent like $1,000 on all these different boxes and we sold them all. And uh, we didn't win like first or second or third place, but you know, we sold like $1,000 worth of sales and they were all recurring. The idea was a subscription, so every month it would renew. Right. So when it ended, I kind of had like all these customers, and they all were like expecting to purchase again. Right. So I still was doing the this is backpacking thing, and I thought, all right, that's you know I've been doing this is backpacking, investing in that, and this will just be a little side project. And then one night at two in the morning, I was uh, working late at Coloft, and I had installed this little chat window thing on the website. So when people go to the website, it says like, Hey, do you want to chat? And when I was in my email, it would pop up in G chat. That was how you saw someone was there and it would tell you where, you know, how long they were on the website, what page and where they were in the world. So we would get not a lot of traffic. It was this little weekend idea and there'd be like New York and there'd be LA and whatever. And then at two in the morning, it said, um, United Arab Emirates. And so I, I, I could like pop up and like force chat on them or they could come to me. And right. I was like, I'm like, Hey man, like what are you doing on healthy surprise.com? <laughs> how did you hear about Yeah. That? Like, yeah. how are you doing this? Like uh, it's two in the morning. And, and he was like, well, I was on this blog and I clicked on this thing and like, I'm here. And so we kind of chatted for a few minutes and, and I didn't say anything about buying anything. But the next morning I looked and I saw, and he bought our hundred dollar most expensive product on the site to have it shipped to the United Arab. Yeah. And, and so the way this works, people always say like, how did that, why would he do that? turns out, uh, was working at, was a employee of the state department mm. and the U S government has a really great system where yeah. you can mail to a local U S address yeah. and then they take it the other way. Yeah. So the shipping wasn't an issue and it really just confirmed this, this idea that I had, but it's one thing to know something and it's one thing to like experience it, you know? Yeah. And I experienced like the magic of the internet, right. you know, like that, like this guy could come out of nowhere, literally as you go on the globe, like that's as far away as you could be from LA is like the middle East and just give me a hundred dollars. And I was like, wow, like I've really, not only is this thing real, but like this idea is real. Like this guy with, and the website sucked and it wasn't like really developed and we hadn't mm. done any testing. And I was like, man, I got something here. Right. So then I was thinking, all right, I've spent like a year 
and like a hundred thousand dollars on this this is backpacking idea. And now I got this little shitty thing that I did in a weekend, <laughs> and I got people from the right. UAE like right. buy, you know buying stuff. So I had a little bit of business experience this time, having done the construction thing, and I I knew that. You can think you have the best idea in the world for a business, but until you get a customer, it's just like kind of theoretical. Mm. And so we had this elaborate like space shuttle shuttle we were building for the backpacking thing, but we never turned it on. Like we never saw if it would actually like take off, you know. And then I had this little Cessna, like, but it, we were flying up and collecting hundred dollars here and three dollars there. So I said, well, why don't I just go with what's working? Like the, the spaceship's almost done and we can come back to that and finish that later, you know, if this thing doesn't work, but let me see where this thing goes. So I kind of put the, this is backpacking thing on pause and uh, went with the, the healthy surprise thing and um, it worked. And the part of my idea for that business was um, I had read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek by this guy, uh, Timothy Ferris. Mm-hmm. And he has this idea of creating this passive online business that just kind of runs in income streams. And that was always my main focus with this, with that concept was that I should um, just get this thing like automated and not be as like as profitable or as big, but make it just this kind of like cool little spinning off cash thing. And um, on the way, I met Shannon and we ended up starting the dirt and I'll let her talk about that. But... Uh, I eventually kind of like kind of did it you know I kind of made the thing be automated and you know Tim if you're listening like it shouldn't be called the four hour work week it should be called like the four thousand hour two years like, <laughs> to get to the four hour work week yeah. you know what I'm saying it was a very expensive like painful <laughs> lot of work thing like That's learning funny. how to run the business well maybe he is listening because I saw on Twitter last night he uh, solicited ideas for guests and mm. a bunch of people suggested me. So maybe he's, uh. he's going to look into it. I, I, we have a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we probably have a lot of mutual friends, but uh, Cassie and I went to stay with a friend in British Columbia, Andrew Weil. Do you know who he is? A doctor. I think we talked about him at dinner the other oh, day with a big beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, he talks a lot about how we take these plant-based medicines yeah. and turn them into white powders <laughs> and all that. Anyway, we went to visit uh, Andrew Weil, and uh, and he said, uh, I, I, I asked, like, oh, you must have a lot of interesting guests up here. It's this amazing house in the woods. And he said, yo, last week Tim Ferriss was here. You know him, the four-hour work week guy? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, he never stopped working the whole time. He was, here. <laughs> <laughs> he was working really hard. Well, so that's, that's kind of, so then I, I can empathize with Tim. Yeah, because exactly. The way the book ends is you end up on a beach yeah. drinking margaritas and you're just relaxing as, as the money just comes into your bank account. Right. And um, that wasn't me at all. Like, right. I, well, I don't think it's him either. Yeah. Right? I think you get bored doing that you and you want to move and do something else. Yeah, right? you empty yeah. the cup. As long as it's pleasure. You're not as long as you're not sorting batteries in a fucking windowless <laughs> office somewhere. <laughs> well, to, I think it's really about creation. Yeah. I think that like yeah. humans have a drive to create stuff and for some artists, you know, it's like it's canvas and painting, but you know, in a lot of ways my art is like my ideas and the businesses and stuff. So I kind of had like kind of cr- emptied the cup and the business was kind of running by itself and it still required time but not like the 20 hours a day or whatever I was doing for you know years and years and years and then it kind of got to be like oh it's like 10 hours a week or 4 yeah. hours a week yeah. so um, I was helping Shannon with her incredible business uh, gimmethedirt.com but I kind of had this space and I had been in California for a few years now and had 
um, had my doctor's recommendation for cannabis and was using it more and more. And, you know, the eating the food and healthy surprise was about like kind of what goes in your body. And then the dirt personal paleo care with Shannon is kind of like what goes on your body, right? It's kind of the topical potions and lotions and stuff. And then the next kind of step on that progression is kind of like what goes in your mind, at least for me. And I started getting more spiritual and I was developing this yoga practice and meditation and I was combining it with the cannabis and I was going and getting these edibles and I like the edibles because you could be precise like with the dose and get to the same place every time. Mm. And I would like take like a certain amount of this one little like it was like a little kind of candy sugary you know like a Jolly Rancher thing and I knew if I bit into a third one of those and then like headed over to yoga it would kick in right as I'm going it and it would I would have this kind of like near unity approach you know on that path kind of experience and one night I was it was December 19th 2013 I was at uh, Peace Yoga it's right down the street with Sherry Ray and she did this very very all of her classes are pretty aggressive and what's great about her place is that at the end of the class in most studios they're like trying to kick you out because the next class is coming in but when she, this is the last class of the night, and she knows people like to just kind of go deep. So she goes upstairs and kind of makes food for people, and they have a cafe. And I just kind of like was laying there in this deep, cannabis-powered meditation. And I started doing, I was kind of doing a systems check on my life. And I said, well, what are the, you know, the patterns and the behaviors that you're doing? and Are they serving you? And I said, well, you're going to the store and like buying out every one of these edibles every time you go to the dispensary because I like this one brand and I was like man am I like a drug addict you know I'm buying a lot of this stuff and I'm using it all the time and then I said no actually I'm having this this discussion with myself about how I can make my life better in the yoga studio like because I just exercised for three hours you know and I was like actually the cannabis is serving me in that way and it's it's pretty good but you know, I'm the CEO of this health, this international health food company, and I eat like super well, and I'm doing yoga, but I'm biting into this like high fructose corn oh, syrup, the the gummy bear, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that one is just doesn't jive with like that's like in a messaging level. So it's like your subconscious sensed a problem there, and the first thing you look at is is it the drug that's is am I abusing this drug? Mm-hmm. No, it's the sugar, it's the yeah. corn syrup. Yeah, it's the the yeah. And I, wow, I, that's an interesting insight. So right. that that was the moment when you merged these two parts of your life. Yeah. Wow. That's that's. So amazing. it literally came. I mean, and that's why we're we're really passionate about the the intentional use aspect of it. Right. Because I mean, it literally was birthed from this kind of like you know whatever you want to call it, like meditation, download, you know, whatever it was. I was getting this kind of like receptive right. dialogue in my head, in this deep you know I'm laying there for two hours, and so I said. Okay, well, the cannabis is serving me. It's the it's the vehicle, right? right. And I said, well, well, why couldn't if I'm going to take the cannabis, why can't it be in some kind of like food that also is serving me too, right? Like, right. why can't the food right. also be like really good food for you? You know, I'm like maybe I should put it in broccoli, and you know, <laughs> and then I was like, no, let's see. The broccoli's not a good idea. <laughs> the cookie dough truffle's got a better ring to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so that was kind of that's kind of been the. The, the kind of long-term arc of, you know, I, I kind of did the business thing, got into personal development, 
then the personal development leads you to realize like you got to take care of your body because you know you can't get up and manage everybody if you're sick and that led to the food and then mm. that led to the personal care and then that's got me here right. talking to you right wow that's an interesting path and do you sell the the psychoactive stuff and the non-psychoactive stuff through the same company or are they two different brands well so healthy surprise is just a the snack subscription well, that service. still exists okay i didn't know if you'd merge that into jumbo or yeah no it's, it's a different it's a different brand and it's a different um it's a different demographic right shane and i actually have talked about this that it's kind of like so so the different companies uh kind of model our path and also the path that a lot of people could take so healthy surprise is um, the products are gluten-free, vegan. Some of the things are vegan, paleo, um, you know, no corn, none of the big GMO crops, wheat, soy. Right. And what we realized is like that's when people are starting to pay attention. Right. right? They're like, what's right. going on with the food? You know what I mean? Like I, everyone's sick and I'm fat and like, you know, and, and they start listening. But they're not really knowledgeable about it and like they couldn't get into like an argument about it. You know what I mean? But they're kind of like trying to absorb information. Right. And so that's kind of what Healthy Surprise is. And then... Once you start eating and, you, and you're looking at the ingredients of your food, go look at your listener. Go look at the ingredients of your toothpaste or your shampoo. Right. Like most mainstream uh, toothpastes have polyethylene in them, which is a plastic. It's what shopping bags and plumbing pipes are made out of. I know from my construction background. They have uh, propylene glycol, which is a, air quotes, food safe antifreeze. Um, they have titanium dioxide, fluoride, all these weird things that... If someone was going to sit down and make like a toothpaste, you would never think like, hmm, you know what we really need some more of is like, we need to get, get me some titanium and right. some, you know, polyethylene. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, why would you think to do that? So, th so then that, that was kind of like that next step. And that's that, that brand and that message is more of like, okay, now we're paying attention a little bit more to that. And then Jumbo Superfoods is really the kind of that next step of like, now I'm aware of not only what I'm eating, and what's going on in my body, but I also should be kind of aware of, of my mind and my, right. you know, my spiritual path and like, where am I, why, why am I doing all this stuff? It's, it's more intention. Like the intention meter is just kind of cranking up over time. Right. Right. Interesting. That's a hell of a path, man. Yeah. How, how old are you? How old do you think? 35? 34. Yeah. Good. You're, so it's early. This path is, who knows where this is going? Uh... I mean, I don't know where it's going, but uh, the more that I, I surrender into it and I unattach from future expectations or worry about past events and I'm just, I'm just in this moment and I'm just trying to do my best at whatever I'm doing, the more it flows and the better it gets and the more fun it is. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are trying to find their path, right? I think yeah. at least the ones who write to me, they're in their early 20s, they're you know, maybe they just got a degree in something they're not really interested in, they're, and they're just like, "What the hell to do?" They're they're at an early point in that trajectory that you described, right? Where they're asking questions and they're suspicious of a lot of the information they've been given thus far, you know. And uh, I think it'll be really helpful for people to hear that sort of a story, uh, you know, especially because it's so it's so typical that you go off intending to do something and then some little detail that you could have just missed or not even thought about or don't follow up or whatever, that ends up being the path. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like you think you're going to marry that woman and it's all, the, and then, you know, her little sister shows up or, you know, her big sister <laughs> or her friend or whatever. And that ends up being the course of your life. You know, that happens in business so often too. So that, that, that right there is basically like the core of Buddhism. Mm. So the idea is, is this idea of unattachment. Right. And what you, it's a weird phrase, and it's really hard to, to really understand what that is. But that example is, it illustrates it. Because no matter what you think your plan is, or what your parents told you, or what school you go to, like it doesn't matter. Because like you said, this one little detail is going to fuck all that up. Right. right? You know what I'm saying? Right. You, like, you can't attach to this expectation, because really you're not in control. Right. You're along for the ride. You know, yeah. we're going on the ride, and if you think you can be stronger than the river, it's going to be very, very <laughs> stressful. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you can turn, you can swim upstream, but you're still getting swept downstream. I don't care what direction you're in. You know? Yeah. So, okay, let's hear your story. I know. Now I got to follow that. I feel like we're, we're going around the circle, <laughs> oh, introducing ourselves here. Yeah. I know. So, and your company's called Give Me the Dirt. Yeah, Give Me the Dirt. Give Me the Dirt. So, okay. Joe kind of spoke into it, yeah. but. Um, I'm really interested in sort of the same things he he's interested in, but more of like a holistic view of uh, of like my own spirituality, but how that connects to the entire like functioning of the planet and the globe and Mother Nature. But that's a big thing, so we won't start there. But uh, I uh, I went to art school. Mm. I went to Otis College of Art and Design to be a painter. Which is here. It's in, in LA, LA, yeah. It's one of those private, fancy art schools. Right. Uh, I originally was supposed to go to Art Center and go into transportation design. That's what my parents wanted me to do because you make a lot of money and you're still doing art. What the hell is that? It's designing what? cars. Oh, okay. But what, what it really is, is it's much like architecture where for the first like 20 years of your career, all you're doing is designing like the door handle. Mm. You're not doing anything really fun. Uh, and luckily, they have a, a program you can take before you go to the school. You can take weekend classes. So I took a transportation design class, and it was the most horribly boring, mathematically, like, soul-sucking <laughs> art I'd ever done in my whole life. Because I was raised, my dad was an animator turned construction worker. Wow. And so I was, I was very encouraged to be artistic. Uh, but they wanted me to make money and you know be mm. secure. Mm. I was raised to be very independent. And having money was part of that plan. And you grew uh, up in L.A.? I grew up in the suburbs of L.A. Oh. I'm a rare unicorn <laughs> that I grew up here. Uh, but in the course of, of life happening, my, my father died before I went to college, so I kind of had a little more freedom to choose where I wanted to go because he's a very influential person. Mm. Uh, so I went to Otis for fine arts. Uh, Loved it. It was the, one of the hardest things I'd ever done. It's a very philosophically based school. So a lot of the, the typical art school existential crisis definitely had that. <laughs> Cried a lot. Really? Learned a lot. Oh, yeah. Were you a goth? No, no. I was a hipster. A hipster. I had an asymmetrical rat tail haircut. Oh. I drank PBR. I lived in Silver Lake. Did the PBR. whole thing. Yeah, yeah, the worst beer ever. Yeah, whoever whoever managed to associate PBR with hipsters was a branding <laughs> genius. genius. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. what can we do with this shitty beer? Right? Like, let's get it's... poor hippies to drink it and it'll become cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Takati kind of did the same thing in L.A. The L.A. hipsters. It was a Takati... You'd put tap tio in it with like a wedge of lime. Yeah. It was like the fancy. 
Which no one in Mexico ever does. There's no fucking lemons in, in Coronas in no. Mexico. I actually have heard that they put the lime in it just to keep flies out of it. That you don't <laughs> squeeze a lime in there. You just plug up the holes. Really? Yeah. Someone told me that. I don't know if it's true. You know, that's what tapas, that's what tapas are. That you, like a sacrifice to the fly gods? It's, you know, to keep the flies out of your wine. Ah. Yeah, because in, in the south of Spain, the wine glasses are like short, uh, fat glasses, uh-huh. right? And uh, they drink fino, which is a sherry that's kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. And they chill it. And on a hot day, it's nice. But flies love that shit. And yeah. there are flies everywhere, right? So they put a saucer on top of the cup. Uh-huh. And if you're gonna, and that's tapar is to cover in Spanish, uh-huh. right? Una tapa is a cover. So they put the, the saucer to cover it, and then you just give a little food with the saucer. Might as well. Might as well. So that's the origin Funny. of tapas. Yeah. See, I thought you were saying you put the tapas to the side and the flies go there first. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up part of my life in Arizona, and they uh, had uh, like sweat bees, yellow jackets. Oh, and if yeah, you put a little piece of meat far away, oh, they really? only go to that. Really? Yeah. So before you barbecue, you put like a chicken wing on the other side of your yard, and they'll just go to that. That's a helpful hint. Right? Yeah. All these great little tidbits. <laughs> That's why we call it tangentially speaking. Bring it 90 degrees out to the right. Now bring it back. Sorry. So we went from art school to hanging chicken wings in the backyard in about three steps. It kind of wraps me up in a nutshell. I'm like, let me tell you about this philosophy. And yeah. then you can put chicken wings and, over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did that art school thing. Uh, you know, I love art. Uh, a lot. I'm a very creative person. I, I just like to make things, mm. no matter what it is. But the, the problem I had in art school was I wasn't like a helpless, starving artist personality. A lot of artists kind of, you know, and not all of them, obviously, but a lot of kids in art school kind of fall into that stereotypical role where they're like, oh, I'm so misunderstood and, and I, don't, you know, I don't need money. And I don't want to like sell my genius, and I'm like, sell it like that. Isn't that the whole point? You got to make it and give it away. Like that's the point. Like business, it's a business. You're you're gonna make a living. You have to. Yeah. If you're gonna make a living off of your craft, you have to sell it. And so I was kind of stuck in this weird. Like I wasn't a business person. I had no business background. I didn't understand it. But I I wasn't like the starving artist type. And I really. Um, I really sort of resonated with Andy Warhol because he was a commercial artist turned fine artist and he kind of, business was his art. Like he made Mm. fun of business and he kind of used business as a framework to create art. And he was very cheeky. And and, uh, I always like people who sort of create uh, like superhero versions of themselves, like David Bowie, mm. you know, and, and he was very much, you know, he had his little black turtleneck and his funky hair. Like even Steve Jobs kind of created a superhero prototype. All the interesting. I mean, you got you to be your own superhero. You got to be what? your own superhero. Everyone's got to be their own superhero. Yeah, I know. I keep thinking I got to do something. You, know, you, you have done it. I'm, well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to you. I'm not going to These I kids got... that are listening, be your superhero. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, Malcolm Gladwell has his hair, right? Steven Pinker has his hair. You, you need, as, a, as an author, uh-huh. to really hit big. You need to have something where people go like, oh, that's that guy, yeah. you know, maybe, just by looking at it. Maybe him. just grow it out more on the top so you have, like, this big white quaff. All right, see, the problem with that is, like, I'm going to lose that hair first. Uh-huh. 
So if I make that my trademark, it'll be gone but in five then years. You can morph it into like a long white rat tail. Oh, kind that's of thing a good where, like, look. Braid it. That's a yeah, good look. Yeah, and be bald on top. The balding dude with the ponytail. Yeah. That's that's my look. And I, maybe I'll like wear a bathrobe and get yeah, a slippers. big beer belly and slippers. <laughs> Or maybe like the Crocs. I'll yes. Be Crocs and a bathrobe. That'll, no. that'll be my look. What about like, like a handlebar mustache? Oh, I had one of those. Uh, in, in the 80s in San Francisco. I I look so gay. I was going to say, it was I a mean, mixed marketing right I'm there. I'm like village people <laughs> gay, you know? But, I mean... I loved it. I love having a mustache. Listen to what you just said. Like, so here's a little marketing concept. We do this all yeah. the time. I looked so blank. Like you made an impression, and that's what you're talking about. Like you want to create your this branding yeah. idea. Yeah, but you easily converge. You want, you want the right impression. Not, it, doesn't, it doesn't always work so conveniently for you. <laughs> I know. Right? Sure like, I that's my the story of my fucking life. Yeah, yeah, like you have a way to get that extreme, like noticeable, remarkable uh, thing, but yeah. but then you're gonna get hit on my guys yeah. nonstop. Well, and that's cool. I love gay guys. I, I, my favorite guys are gay generally because yeah. they're funnier. You know, than straight guys. No, they, no offense. They, uh, <laughs> I, you know when you think of you're going to say something and then you say it in your own head and you laugh at yourself because uh-huh. it's unintentionally kind of funny? Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, because they give less fucks than everyone else. Well, they, but they, no, that's actually true. <laughs> I've, I've talked with Dan Savage about this. Yeah. I've had, there have been um, three gay men in my life who have been pivotal, like mm. pivotal in helping me move to the next level of, hmm. of my life. Openly gay men. Yeah. I don't know how many closeted ones. But, um, yeah, I mean, if I ever write my autobiography, there will be a chapter on gay men who really went out of their way to, uh, to help me. Was this during the handlebar mustache period? Uh, <laughs> the first one was, yeah. yeah. And he sort of fell in love with me and it became a big deal. Um, a big problem, ultimately. But, uh, but the other two, no. But, but the thing about not giving a fuck is... The thing about gay men is that they've... What we were talking about earlier. They've faced something really scary. Yeah. And they've transformed it from uh, you know a dark secret to an openly you know there's something so beautiful about that and so when you meet these guys you're right they give less of a fuck because they faced one of their yeah. deepest fears and overcome it and now they're just there's a celebratory energy about gay men that I just love being around. Yeah, yeah so taking a lot of cannabis kind of does the same thing. It can. It can. <laughs> you yeah. face that really scary internal it, demon. It's hard to be full of shit when you get high regularly. Yeah, and then like you you face this thing that was very frightening in the moment or intense. Frightening is a subjective word. But then when you have to like make the business phone call, like that other person on the line is not as scary as that, you know, internal demon you faced two right. nights ago. And right. For me, the, some of my greatest growth as a human being has been because of cannabis, mm. which like me five years ago would have never thought I'd say that. Because I wasn't like against cannabis at all. I just wasn't like super into it. Right. You know? Uh, and how did that change? Interesting. <laughs> Well, it was, it was kind of a process. Joe was very pivotal in that, definitely. I had, uh, after I went to art school, I, I did the art thing for a little while, and like I, I was really good at art, and I, I got a lot of accolades and notoriety, but I realized that to make a living off of it, even if I charged $10,000 a painting, I would have to sell 
living in LA to have like a decent living, I had to sell eight ten thousand dollar paintings a year. Yeah, and I was like, that's impossible <laughs> for a twenty three year old. I could not fathom that happening. Uh, so I kind of just putzed around for a little while. I moved to Washington D.C., which was horrible for me personally. Beautiful city, gorgeous, but you know it's all politics. And uh, one of my friends there described it as Hollywood for ugly people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I've been at D.C. a few times recently, and it, it seemed to me that it's full of frat boys. <laughs> yeah. It's like everybody's jogging with their Princeton fucking T-shirt on. Like, oh, Harvard, oh, Princeton. Like, fuck all of you guys. And they're all, yeah, no, I hate D.C. Yeah. personally. I'm much less diplomatic about it than you. <laughs> 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 but, but ironically, I uh, just voted to legalize cannabis there. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. One of the few cities, I mean. Right. But wasn't there some question whether Congress would allow it? Yeah, of course, because they've got that the, fucked up the legal anti, thing. anti-euphoria contingent was like, <laughs> no euphoria is happening in my city. <laughs> yeah. People can't be happy in this overpriced place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Go to Anacostia and be poor and miserable. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyways. So anyway, so you're in D.C., which, DC. which you're being nice and saying is nice, but... It's beautiful. It's um, beautiful. Humid. Couldn't get a job to save my life, because at the time there was this inter- interesting phenomenon. Uh, it was kind of right during the whole, like, uh, there's no jobs for college graduates period right. we had. Well, I was too educated to get a retail job and undereducated to get a job in politics, because I had a bachelor's of fine arts, which is basically like horse shit on a piece of paper right. <laughs> in DC. I was like, I probably know more she about- She needed the Princeton sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah I needed yeah, a Princeton, my, my Otis sweatshirt, which in LA gets you cred, doesn't get you any cred in DC. No. Uh, so I, I had to move back to LA. I, I couldn't afford it, because it's god awful expensive there. Is LA much less expensive than DC? Really? No. No, because <laughs> you had family. Here. I have family yeah, here, yeah, yeah, and yeah. friends. I moved in with one of my my friends, and it was great. Yeah. But uh, I didn't have a job here either, and it just so happened my my ex boyfriend, who I had moved to DC with and then moved back to LA, his best friend worked for a company that um, it owned a couple different companies. So they had like a skincare company, they had a diet product, and they were launching a shoe company, and it was a it was during the subscription commerce boom when everything was a subscription, and they were starting a shoe of the month club. <laughs> shoe of the month club. Yep. It's like the ultimate orgasm, like of consumption. Yeah. You know what I mean, like buy these 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 cheap plastic shoes from China every month, like forever. What the <laughs> fuck? Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a hundred million dollar business, you know. It's huge. Oh, huge. So she went and helped them. Yeah. So I had had, you know, a little bit of social media experience mm-hmm. coming from the art world. You have to promote yourself. Yeah. So I knew how social media marketing worked in general. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, I got an interview with this company. I made this like whole beautiful slide presentation and presented it to the CEO and they were all wowed and they're like, great. We'd love to have you work for us. And uh, we have a couple people here who are doing social media for the other brands. They can help you. Because I told them, I was like, I've never had an office job. Like, I'm a painter. Mm. <laughs> They're like, don't worry about it. We'll totally help you. It's cool. We understand. Like, you're very creative. We like that. So that was great. They were very, very excited mm. about me being creative. And so I show up. And they're like, okay, we have our Facebook page. We have our Twitter account. Uh, it was right after MySpace ended, right before Pinterest. And like, we have 44 followers. Yahoo. Make it happen. Yeah. 
And I was like, make it happen. Okay, cool. So, like, uh, do you have plans? Do you have this? They're like, nah, we have no idea. Just just do it. Right. Go ahead. So they basically gave me, like, carte blanche, do whatever I want. Uh, and it was quite an experience. I was the fourth employee there. It was me, the VP, a graphic designer, and, like, one customer service agent. And over the course of the next two years, I took it from just me and 44 fans to a uh, it was me. I had an assistant. I had, uh, she was technically my boss, but she was more like, she was like the business side and I was the creative side. Mm. Uh, Megan's awesome. And we had six customer service agents just for social media response to customers. We had 1.2 million Facebook fans. I can't remember how many Twitter followers. It was a hell of a lot. And I want to say, and I can't quote this because I can't quite remember as a while ago that like 30% of our sales came through social media wow. referrals wow. at the time. So we just blew it up. It was like the golden era of social media marketing. Right. And it was super fun. You know, it was an office full of women who are all very, you know, into fashion and fun. And we had happy hour every Friday. There was a bar in the office. It was in like Redondo Beach. And we had all these events and they flew me to New York to like take contest winners to fashion shows, and it's very glamorous and and uh, exciting. But it was not my dream job; it was somebody else's dream job, mm. and I was good at it, but it wasn't fulfilling at all. Right. I was who, I was yeah, selling. Who would off. think that the shoe thing wouldn't be fulfilling spiritually? You no. know, some people really love the shoes. I know, I know. I'm gonna get hate mail for the shoes. I love. I wear shoes every day. Big fan of the shoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I trade them in monthly. Uh, you don't want to you don't uh, want to wear a pair of shoes more than a month. <laughs> well, it's good to just get a new one. Yeah. New options. Yeah. You guys obviously you don't know? understand high heel the culture. Shoe, shoe technology is <laughs> constantly changing. I know, and your outfits <laughs> you change be all the left time. Behind. Listen, ladies, I understand you. <laughs> the high heels are very beautiful. What is it about women in shoes? I've thought about huh. that quite a bit, and the most I can come up with is that. Women and shoes resonate because shoes are both protective mm -hmm. and a fashion statement. Well, she's got a good, a good one on this. Yeah, what's your, Do I? what's your yeah, the helpless thing? <laughs> well, I know high heels make you helpless. It's like yeah. foot binding and long yeah. fingernails. I mean, there's like a uh, there was some study done that like the worse the economy, the higher the heels. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, the theory goes that as like the men lose their financial power, which we count as like the highest power in our society. Mm -hmm. Women need to then uh, reflect that and be more helpless. So you get the higher heels, longer nails, more kind of extravagant, like really uh, amplification of feminine, you know, classically feminine characteristics. Well, and you know uh, the frailty. The frailty. They need yeah. help. They need rescuing. You right, know, right. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I read it in a paper. That's but, my, my theory for why Japanese women make that painful sound when they're being <laughs> when they're having sex. I don't know if you've ever seen Japanese porn. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I think it's a response to the generalized Japanese male insecurity about their penis size. Mm. So the the women are reacting to the men being really insecure about that, so they make this sound oh, as it's if so like big, it's, it's so, so big, it's uh -huh. killing me. Yeah. Yeah. So they're weird they're weird memes. Yeah. The other thing about high heels is, I remember reading years ago, that the women wearing high heels have to shift their hips in mm -hmm. a way that is the primate presenting for sex. It sticks your butt out. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
It does definitely do that. It does make your butt look nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your rear entry door yeah. is open. No, I mean when you see, I, I even notice like from a, from afar, from mm-hmm. like uh, across the street, like a woman will catch my eye more if she's in heels than if if she's wearing yeah. flats. Yeah. Well, it's multi. There's mul- like multiple reasons for that. Like one, they got the butt sticking out. They're right. usually in like some sort of cute outfit that's right. probably more flamboyant than normal. They're not normal. wearing heels with yeah. sweatpants. Yeah. They're taller, right. easier to yeah, see. Yeah, they're taller. The shoes, right. you know, depending on the fashion, they're like hot pink. They or, look like they might be about to fall over, so you yeah. can run over and be helpful. Yeah, you can be Prince Charming. Go yeah. catch them. <laughs> it's interesting though. Uh, Pres- what about why do women? I, I've never been with a woman who wore high heels in bed. <laughs> you know, you see that in movies all the time. Oh yeah, and yeah, I always they think flop like on the bed and the, the high heels. Yeah, they, the guys fucking them and they got the high heels and it's like. Have you ever taken a high heel to the back of the thigh? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, <laughs> you, you could put my eye out with those things. <laughs> they're sharp. Get them out of here. You're all frayed up from walking on yeah, cement. Yeah, I don't yeah. want they're, those they're, things. They're, they're super sexualized, right? With the stripper heels. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's, I think it maybe in a movie would be, icon, you know. Yeah, icon, it's, it's purely visual. Symbolism. Yeah. It, yeah, definitely. I think too much when I watch porn. That's one of my big <laughs> problems, apparently. Anyway, I interrupted you. So, <laughs> okay. so what the hell, where were we anyway? We, uh, 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 oh, I said the shoe place. Oh, the shoe place. So you were both out with the shoe thing wasn't and my then dream job and uh prince charming over here shows up i mean it was a little bit of that but i was like dating this guy who was a wonderful guy and he was like super good looking but like was not the right guy for me and kind of like my whole life from the outside looked really beautiful and glamorous mm, that's a crisis point <laughs> yeah i was like you know very stereotypical kind of thing i like lived in southern california you know everything looked good i should be happy i should be happy and i was totally not yeah well she just didn't have the right handbag yeah, obviously I needed to buy more shoes. Yeah. Um, Dolce & Gabbana, baby. I had some fancy shoes. Yeah. I still have a couple of them. I just look at them. I don't really even wear them. I just, they're like art. They're really well-made ones I can appreciate from a designer standpoint. But uh, I remember it was like July 1st, and I can't remember the year, but I was so miserable, and I was in my like tiny apartment like that faced downtown LA but was in the ghetto because, of course, you know I didn't get paid very well for LA and I was just so miserable I can't remember if I was crying I was very like very low and I just thought to myself like shit changes today like this I can't do this anymore this is not me this is I'm wasting my potential I know I'm I'm more than this and I need to do something I'm fucking passionate about otherwise what's the fucking point like it changes today this time next year things are gonna be different and I dumped the poor guy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, I started doing freelance work on the side, social media consulting. And I was doing that. Is that where you met Kyle? No, I met Kyle years later. Oh. Okay. Years later. Right. New life, different life. Right. But I was consulting and, and uh, I had done a lot of online dating. And working in social media and being an artist, I'm really good at online dating. I can oh. write a killer profile and I can read a profile really well. Right. She helps my my friend. She my friend came over on one of our first dates, and he was on the dating site. And she's like, oh, "Let me see it." And she pulled up his profile, and she's like, "Oh yeah, this is this isn't any good." And she rewrote it. And a week later, he ends up going on a date with a chick that he is now married to. Wow. Yeah, I'm good. That's effective. We should, <laughs> we should rope you into... I, I was just in San Francisco uh-huh. meeting with my partners. We're setting up a, an online dating site uh-huh. for the ethically non-monogamous oh, community. Oh, fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, but anyway, we'll talk yeah. about that another time. So it's an online dating thing. So yeah, so you're good at that. So then you started doing that freelance and <laughs> no, I had I had done it and I'd met a lot of really interesting people and had great times and um, but I broke up with this guy and I'm like I'm not going to date for a while. I'm going to mm. take a break. So I did for like two months. <laughs> I was like I'm going to wait six months. No, two months. Made it two months. That's like, even uh, a weird thing too. Where is this like you have to take a break? What do you think about that? You're like the sex relationship guy. When you break up with someone, you should you should not see anybody, or you should jump right back into the action. I think it depends. I, I think there, there's a lot of value in spending significant significant time, especially in your twenties, mm-hmm. on your own, because it helps you figure out who you are mm-hmm. independently, as opposed to who you are when you're around this person mm-hmm. or that person. Because a lot of personality is reactive, you mm-hmm. know. So when I, you know, when I see people who go from one relationship to another, I feel like that you're missing an opportunity there. I understand, right? Life's lonely and it's good to share things. And, you know, especially in your 20s, you're horny all the time. I mean, not so much about jumping into another relationship, but like just taking like a sabbatical from dates. I think taking, I take sabbaticals from everything. I, I like, you yeah. know, I think for me personally, I, I, I don't give advice, you know, mm-hmm. I try not to give advice with relationships, but yeah, like I like beer, but one or one month, at least a year, I won't drink any beer, you know, or whatever social media, pull out of that or work, pull out of that I spend time away from Casilda. You know, I think <coughs> that's important as well. Yeah. I like taking sabbaticals. Yeah. I think it's good to recalibrate. Do you ever go and just like total EMF? No phones, no email, just like uh, Africa was that for me. Yeah, you know, I, I used to quite a bit, and I haven't since I became this business, you know? I wrote a book and became a business, <laughs> which was kind of weird. I didn't see that coming, really. Um, but it's some, as soon as I finish this book, between when the publisher accepts it and when it gets published, it'll probably be about six months. And we're planning to go to Southeast Asia and like Oof. hang in the jungle and awesome. on islands and just completely disconnect for a while. Is that a good, was that a good thing when you became a business, like your, your personal brand? Like, are you, you like that? Not really. No? No, it's, it's, uh, what the hell is that? No, I think it's the neighbors. Oh, um, well, Yes and no. Honestly, the way I feel about it is that, of course, I'm gratified that, you know, 50,000 people are listening to us talk right now and think it's worth their time to to listen in on this. I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get just emails that, you know, I couldn't have imagined that many people would feel that connected to me hanging out with some friends just bullshitting. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful that, that it's bringing value to people. Who are a lot of people who are in communities where there just aren't people like you around to talk to. So it's it, it gives them something valuable just to know that there are people out there who think the way they think and who value the things they value, and they're not that weird just because the, their little local community. <laughs> well, they may be that, that weird, weird, but they're just well, they're this they can't weird. Find the other you know? weird people yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think that's wonderful. As for me personally, my quality of life. Uh, is lower than it was really? before sex is Because, you out. know, fame is another one of these things that our, right. our, our culture exalts. Yeah. Exactly. So, so why, how is that negative? Because in my case, and I know I'm going to sound like a dick saying this, but I think it, it, it's bringing more value to other people than it is to me. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. You can't eat fame. 
You can't eat money. You have to transform it into something that you can eat, right? So just having fame doesn't amount to shit. All it means is somebody recognizes you in an airport occasionally, right? And I don't get off on that because... But, 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 but they're not being a benefit isn't a negative. It's not a negative, but what it does, the negative is that it brings responsibility. Mm -hmm. okay. It brings a lot of people asking me for help. Mm -hmm. It brings a lot of writers sending me their manuscripts and asking me to write a blurb and to help them. And, it, you know, a lot I'm of people. You you're an asshole. I get reviews. some of that, but <laughs> I get much less of that That's than good. I expected. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Most of the feedback is super positive and, and encouraging. Um, but, you know, just like feeling responsibility. People yeah. like, hey, you know, can you introduce me to Dan Savage? Just, you know, send this to him. Or can you hook me up with this person? Or, you know, just yeah. read this and give me your feedback. As if you know, people don't understand the scale, right? They think, and, and I like the fact that people feel personal connection. So for them, it's like, hey, I'll send that guy an email. He's mm -hmm. cool. Maybe he can tell me, you know. But they don't understand that I got... 40 other emails just like that today. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so then I feel like a bit of an asshole or I'm scrambling, trying, I've got 300 messages in my inbox. I used to have, if it got over 10, I would get nervous, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel like it's moved me into doing things I don't enjoy, but I feel like I really need to do. I, I've got 20,000 Twitter followers. Mm -hmm. I got 15, I don't know how many Facebook I don't give a shit about Twitter and Facebook, but now I feel like enough people are listening that when I see something interesting, I feel like I sort of owe it to send it out there and, you know, share it with people. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, because you could different. like, you could like retreat behind gatekeepers. Right. But then that's not like, that's another bad outcome. To, to, you know, it's, it's a weird Right. Yeah. yeah. And because, you know, my brand, to the extent that I have a brand, is that I am not full of shit. Mm -hmm. So the minute I start being full of shit, then, you know, the whole thing just becomes. Well, a, I hope you don't start after joke. this podcast that you're. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go higher. I, I mean, I do have, a, a, you know, virtual assistants who yeah. help out, but, you know, they're well, just you're friends. You're not superhuman. You can't do everything. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hardly human. Much less <laughs> no, you're super. You're doing this. This is great. Anyway, you guys, I know you have a, a hard stop, so I, I don't want to end know, halfway through your story. Keep going through this. It, it's nice. The last time somebody, like, this happened sometimes, do you know who Neil Strauss is? Yeah. yeah. So he was my first podcast guest. And we started talking, and within five minutes, the whole conversation was about me. Because he was like... So, I've heard he does that to oh, people. Oh, it was hilarious. It's like, so, now, your mother, did you have a good relationship with your mother? And I'm like, what? I, I thought I was interviewing you. What the hell happened here? <laughs> well, I'm in good company, then. No, yeah, you're an excellent company. Right. I just don't want to take up the time uh, oh, yeah, yeah, for, from your story. And I'm not, I'm not as uh, assertively talkative as Joe is, so... Yeah, well, I we're, use more we're mansplainers here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll absorb this and calculate it and see what I think of it. And then tomorrow I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so. So you're doing the social Did the social media, media marketing thing right. uh, on the side. Uh, met Joe through the online dating. I, I promised myself I wouldn't date. And then I was like, I'll just look. And I saw his profile. And I was like, uh, if I was a man, I would have wrote this profile. Really? Yeah. So you were impressed by the profile... Uh, Content. Yeah. What Can you remember what was in it? 
he he was talking a lot about um, travel and philosophy and kind of like I'm a big adventure fan. It was very like adventurous in a thoughtful way, mm. enough so that his pictures were really shitty. Mm. The pictures like didn't show his face really, and then one did, but he had like a like a turban on because he was in India, and I, mm. I and I was like, I like that he's in a turban in India, but I I can't tell what he looks like really. I could just tell that he wasn't ugly. Right. And he was I like... I didn't want him to be just a piece of meat that women <laughs> would just feast on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that's not... You, you didn't know. want to be the chicken wing hanging... Yeah, exactly. I wanted, to, I wanted to have the Shannons of the world find yeah, me. so I could tell he, he wasn't ugly. He was like at least attractive guy. And he was in decently good shape. And if anything else, he'd be very interesting to talk to because right. his profile was great. And so... Uh, I, I think I only have messaged three guys the entire time I online dated. One of which was my friend Colin that I told you about. Oh. Yeah, Colin right. Wright, the author. Um, I can't remember the other guy. And Joe. And I wrote Joe, and I think the headline was something like, don't bother reading any other messages. Yeah, and, then, and then, <laughs> I'm your girl. Yeah, and then the first <laughs> sentence was like, I'm you without a penis or something. No, I said, you're me with a penis. <laughs> something really like, yeah, really powerful. That's like a big that. assumption. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I it could have been trans. You I know? like a, if I'm going to do something, I do 110. I didn't go there with, with that. But I, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it was something like you I'm know, you with a penis. That's nice. You're me with a penis. We have like all these same interests, or, or you're and me you me. seem interesting. Like we should hang out. Yeah. Something. Right back. Right. And it was like I I had some like sassy thing I said at the end. I can't remember. And he wrote me back, and then he like called me. After like the second message, which nobody ever calls you on online dating, it's like oh. a back and forth cat and mouse thing forever until someone gets uninterested. So big waste of time. <laughs> All these games. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. And like you know, I'm a pretty assertive lady, so all the cat and mouse back and forth is just very unattractive to me. Like, right. if you're not more assertive than I am, I'm not interested. Yeah, mm. I'm a, I'm pretty alpha lady. If you're not, I'm not into the, like the beta guys. As friends, great, but, uh, so we went on a date and, uh, I, I, I'm native to LA and he had just kind of recently moved here. And so I had this perfect bar that was really cool that I was going to kind of impress him because he was driving from Santa Monica to where I lived in downtown. So I picked the venue and I was like, okay, we're going to meet at this restaurant called Cole's. It's one of the oldest restaurants in LA. But in the back of it, it has a bar called The Varnish. Because during the Prohibition, they had a secret bar that you had to knock on the door. Oh, speakeasy. Speakeasy, yeah. yeah. And it's cool. still it's still running. Really? Yeah, That's it's still a cool. plain door in the back of the restaurant. Mm. And I was like, okay, we're going to meet at Varnish. If you can't find it, ask the waiters. They'll tell you. It's really cool uh, at, you know, like 8 o'clock or something. Late enough that he could get there from Santa Monica because the L.A. traffic is horrendous. And uh, we were going to do it like a week later. So in the course of chit-chatting in the week in between our date, he had said like, well, do you think you'll be hungry because you're just coming home from work? Should we get dinner? I was like, oh, yeah, we probably should get dinner. So let's just eat in the restaurant that the bar's in, Cole's. He's like, okay, great. Well, somewhere in the conversations, something got a little mixed up. So I show up to Cole's, and I like to get to places first. Because I'm not very good at picking people out of a crowd. Mm. And I have red hair and I'm kind of flamboyant. So mm. people can find me. Right. So I get there at like 
and I'm sitting kind of by the door, but kind of hidden. So I text him and I'm like, you know, I'm sitting here. It's kind of hidden. You know, I want to make sure he could find me. And so I'm sitting there, I get an iced tea. It's like 7.50, 7.55, 8 o'clock. I'm like, okay, he should be here. 8.05, like 8.10, and no text messages or anything. And I'm like, well, maybe he's stuck in traffic. It's uh-huh. L.A., you know? Uh-huh. 8.15, uh-huh. I like drank all of my iced tea. And I'm awkwardly sitting by myself with an empty iced tea in a restaurant. And like 8.20, and I'm like, if this MAFing dude doesn't show up by 8.30, I'm out of here. Like, screw this guy. He doesn't know what he's missing. <laughs> 8.30 comes, and I'm like, no text message, nothing. Like, did I get stood up? Like, this, like, forget this. And so, at the time, I remember I was going to be kind of embarrassed that I got stood up, which now, like, is such a silly thing. But I slid a 10 underneath my empty glass, because that would well cover an iced tea and a tip. And it, I didn't have anything smaller. And I got up and I went to walk out of the restaurant. And I walked, I made a left to go up the street to my car and I just hear, Shannon! And I turn around and there's this like attractive guy in like his button down shirt with like a nice shiny watch and like nice tennis shoes on. And he's like, where have you been? And I was like, where have you been? I've been sitting in the restaurant. Ooh, dog. I've been sitting in the restaurant for like half an hour waiting for you like I was right there right where I texted you and he's like I didn't get any text messages and as soon as he said that his phone starts going bling oh. bling he's in a dead zone uh, and he was in the speakeasy, was in the speakeasy oh, waiting the for me with no oh. service and yeah. She was- yeah, so we stood Screwed each other up. Screwed by prohibition. Stood Once each other again. up. Once again. Once <laughs> again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Stood each other up on our first date. But nice. then we decided we went and got drinks. Uh, I remember he sat on my side of the table, which impressed me, because I was like, that's pretty presumptuous to sit in like my personal space. Mm. And magic from then on. Wow. So tell him about the dirt. Yeah, okay, so fast part of the middle part of the story is Joe helps me quit my job. Uh, I do the social media marketing full time, but I'm still, you know, I'm still not super excited about it. Like I'm good at the marketing and, and social media, but I like making things. I'm like a maker type person. And I have always, ever since I was a little kid, just made stuff and made like personal care products. Like I would, I would take all my grandma's old perfumes and mix them together and make her a new perfume. Mm. Or I take like the leftover of my mom's lotions and mix them together right. with acorns to make it magical, obviously. Mm. It, it and got like, to a point where she'd be complaining about the social media stuff and how she didn't like to do that. Yeah. But then at night, she'd be making all these potions and all this cool yeah. stuff, you know? And she's mm. like, oh, try this. And I always thought to make like a shampoo, you needed a million dollar factory. Right. You know, and she's concocting all these things. And I, I, we had a conversation. And I was like, well, what are you doing with this thing that you don't like to do? Yeah. When you're... You're, obviously, you love to make all the stuff because that's what you're doing when, you know, in, your, in your free time. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I have made a lip balm because I, I got a really bad sunburn when I was younger and it's totally ruined my lips. Ooh. They peel and they crack and they bleed. Mm. And nothing worked. I tried everything from like, you know, $100 tiny pots of chemicals to, you know, straight coconut oil, whatever. Uh, and I, I, was, I thought to myself, like, I'm a huge huge passion for cultural anthropology. I love just humans and how we've, we've evolved and our cultures have evolved. And, and I remember all these cultures have these like, um, like, uh, 
they have traditional secrets to things, right. health or beauty or whatever. Right. So I, I thought to myself, okay, what do all these lip treatments, potions, what don't they have that these traditional beauty cultures do have? Because these ancient knowledges, like they've come from somewhere. They've, they've been tried and tested for, right. for millennia. Right. So I mixed all these things together and I came up with this lip balm and it worked. I gave it to a girlfriend who had eczema, and it worked for her. Mm. And it worked for another girl, for another girlfriend. And they were telling me to, you know, you got to sell this, you got to make this. And then Joe was telling me, you should make things. And, and finally, like with enough people telling me I should do this, I was like, all right, all right, all right, I'll I'll do the thing. Right. I'm going to make the products. It's the best way to start a business is when people are like, I want to buy this thing. You yeah, yeah. Like, and if people Solve keep your coming own to you and asking you for it, then you're like, all you right, oh, there's a market. Yeah, shit, yeah, I'm, I'm onto something here. Yeah. And you guys had the infrastructure for. Selling stuff, sending yeah. things, promoting yeah, I things. Yeah, I just blasted through the jungle figuring out how do you create the website, how do you right. accept the money online, how do you fulfill the shipment. Exactly. Yeah. So I was able to help her a little bit, but she's this creative genius that just keeps turning out hits of all these amazing... She had the lip balm, uh-huh. and then you made the tooth powder. Yeah, Tell tooth powder. Tooth powder is basically like a dried toothpaste. Uh-huh. And what it does is it, it takes out the need for all those funky chemicals that they use in liquid toothpaste. Right. So it's basically just a clay um, herbs that are supportive for your mouth's own repair process because uh-huh. your entire body fixes itself. Right. Most of the products in Western society uh, like stop a process or they change a process. Right. When really, we just need to kind of get out of the way and support the process. Exactly. Like fecal transplants. Like fecal transplants. I'm not saying you should do a fecal transplant in your mouth. No, right? not in your mouth. But I mean, it's just such a striking example yes. of how instead of killing everything in your gut, mm-hmm. introduce a healthy colony, let it spread Boom. and your problem solved. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it's amazing. Like, what's, what's the name of the tooth powder? The tooth powder is the dirt tooth powder. The dirt tooth powder. And we, yeah. we finally found a way to make it into like a paste. Uh-huh. So, so it's Without been chemicals. our main thing has been a, a powder, which is like what traditionally has been used yeah. for hundreds of years. Yeah. This idea of the paste is new, but Shannon, after this, and this was a really interesting entrepreneurial story because we made this. We had a friend of ours who said, "I really like the tooth powder, and I can help you sell it, but I could sell a lot more if it was a paste." Right. So, like, you got to do this paste because people know paste, right? Yeah. And so she started mixing it up and trying to concoct it. And she made so many variations and it wouldn't work. Yeah. And she kept getting really discouraged. And I was like, babe, this is what's going to make this so good is that it's hard to do. You know what I mean? Like you're figuring it out. And she persevered and persevered. And now we have this really awesome MCT um, toothpaste, which is really, really, really cool. Yeah, it's made with coconut oil instead of glycerin and chemicals. And it tastes really good. I agree. I mean, the paste is important because I've used tooth powder and mm-hmm. it, most of it like falls off. And, you know, it's like, I don't it's know. It's a little more um, of an abstract process than yeah. just putting paste on. Yeah. I, yeah. Should have a, so, I should have had a toothbrush review to try it. Yeah, we can rose, make you brush your teeth rose, right now. Rose, cacao, and mint. Wow. Flavor. flavor. It's like wow. brushing your teeth with royalty. <laughs> that was Aubrey's quote. Yeah. That's a picture right there. That is the picture that I want to. This is the cover art of the. Well, this is how I got to keep the dog from barking. It's working though. She's not barking. Joe's holding the dog upside down and scratching her back legs, which is totally exposing okay, her I butt get, I to get, us. I get this I'll have my powered by orgasm shirt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With the dog butt. I, I like to wait, take... wait, you gotta get the butt facing yeah, the camera. Yeah, the, 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 the butt. Yeah, was... I see where you guys really are. Yeah, there, this this is how. <laughs> 
right. For some reason, the focus just... Oh, so this is going to be the number one hit for my name. This is going to be... Uh, you scratching the dog's butt. Scratching the dog's butt. <laughs> Jumbo, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, all right, so then you made the toothpaste. Toothpaste, and, and then we have a whole line of uh, beautiful plant and... Uh, mostly plant-focused, but we do use like a ghee in a mm-hmm. lot of the products. Yeah. Cassie uh, loves ghee. Oh, ghee is a magical thing. I could talk about yeah. ghee for a long time. Which, yeah. uh, but it's it's all how I was saying earlier that my my personal sort of intuition. I'm drawn to like the whole plant more than the extract of it. Right. So that's kind of the philosophy for the whole line. Is everything is as close to the whole plant as possible. Are you guys commercially associated with Onnit, or it's you just friends? Uh, we do. Um, we do a. Uh, we make our lip balm. We make remake it for them as their lip food. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, so right. we, we met. I, I should just mention we met at. Uh, yeah, honest. dot com. Incredible. Incredible yeah. store. Yeah. Great ethics and awesome yeah. people that work there. Aubrey yeah. Marcus is a really awesome person. Wonderful. Yeah. So let me just bring us full circle. <laughs> yeah. We started this with you asking about the truffles. Yeah. The, the product line with Jumbo. There's one other thing I wanted to tell you about, which is really cool, which I think a lot of your listeners would be interested in. And it's um, it's got ghee in it, which we were just talking about, and it's our daily ritual uh, product. So it's uh, grass fed ghee with um, MCT oil, and uh, that's kind of like butter and coconut oil, which is this whole butter coffee you know craze that um, Dave Asprey's made really popular, and a lot of other people. Right. But what we've done is we've added into it CBD, which is the cannabidiol, that uh, compound. The cannabinoid from the, the cannabis plant that we talked about that's having all these incredibly healing effects right. is, is an idea of here was a way to kind of get a slow intake of that over time. Because what they're showing is that it's really helpful, whether it's you know, with cancer or seizures or whatever. It's not really understood, but it seems to be pretty good. And it seems like something that we have this endocannabinoid system, and if we could get small doses of it over time, uh, that's not hurting. You know, it's probably helping. So by making this um, like kind of cooking oil that also goes great in coffee, it's another way for people to kind of get the CBDs as like a right. slow intake, you know? Right, right. That's fantastic. Yeah, I wanted to, in your, your um, edibles, do you use a particular strain, particular hybrids? Do you tend more toward indica? Or? We use uh, the SFB OG. It's a hybrid strain, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's great. We, we've got a great organic source, and... Um, the effects are award-winning. I mean, right. people love it. You heard Aubrey talking yeah. about how much he really enjoyed it, and Joe uh, Rogan. So it um, it's fantastic. We, we'd like to expand into you know other ones as well, but right now we've got some that really works, and then we're also infusing with the other herbs too. So we've got the um, Relax, which is Kava, which we talked about, right. yeah. and uh, we're working on a new one that I, we haven't named yet. I'm thinking uh, Gravity might be good, <laughs> so the Jumbo Gravity Truffle. And it'll have kratom in it, uh, which is a plant relative of the coffee plant that seems to it increases sociability and also uh, it just kind of feels like you've cranked up the gravity meter a little bit. You're very relaxed and kind of want it to <laughs> lay on the floor. It's good. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah, because I, I, I know for smoking, there's a big difference between indica and, and sativas. But in edibles, I'm not, I don't know if, if it affects, has the same sort of effects, you know, the high energy sativas and the... Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has an effect. But Does the whole it? the whole uptake of edible versus smoking it is very different as well. Yeah. So you think yeah. about if you have your baseline kind of default mode state and then you smoke, you have this spike into being high and then you kinda of gradually come down. So right. think of like a like a, a triangle, kinda of like and then um, but if you have an edible, 
it's more of like a sloping hill, right? Yeah. So you eat it, your body metabolizes it, and the high comes on slower. Mm-hmm. So what we've discovered and with our um, truffles is that you know we, we make a coconut oil. That's how we start with. So we take the cannabis, we slowly cook it in coconut oil over time, and then that infuses the cannabinoids into the lipids. Yeah. Um, and you can just consume the coconut oil. Right. And if you do that... Uh, it, it, the onset of the effect is faster, right. much more so than if when we combine it into the truffle, if you think about it, you're, it's, it's really mixed in 100%, right? So is your body, if you take this kind of iceberg and melt it, it's being released into you right. more slowly, right? right? So the onset is slower than even the oil, which comes on faster. And for most people, we talked about them having like a negative kind of too much feeling intensity experience. That... Um, slower on take tends to minimize that right and what we've also found is that if you say you decide okay i'm gonna i want to take uh 10 milligrams well you could just take a 10 milligram edible but what if you have the time to do it like chop it up into maybe three pieces and take a piece and then half an hour take a piece and you know or an hour just spread it out and that slow you know kind of grassy knoll hill ramp up as opposed to the spike that tends to allow you to ease into it and just kind of be more relaxed yeah. as opposed to like, oh my God, all of a sudden like I'm right. high and like what's going on? Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's very nice. Microdoses are great. Yeah. Of and something sorts. interesting about edibles that I haven't really read anything about, but <clears throat> smells right, as my grandpa would say, is, you know, your, your stomach is an intelligent system. Your digestive system has quote unquote intelligence to it. Mm. So I imagine that when you eat an edible, you're not just smoking something which goes straight in your bloodstream <clears throat> you're putting the the plant material through an intelligent system before it enters right. the rest of your system right so i think it just it gives you a little bit more of what you you need what your system needs than just smoking the right. whole thing coming out is there anything with uh cannabinoids coming in through the skin People use CBD topically, and uh-huh. they, they get relief from aches from it. Right. Definitely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, oils. Yeah. yeah. There's so much we haven't talked about. I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, uh, Rick Simpson oil and all that kind of stuff, but I don't want you to arrive at your yoga class stressed, and I know well, you have to go pretty soon. We have some. We'll, we'll, we'll do it another time. We'll follow up, because I mean, we've, we've been talking for... Two hours and 14 minutes. <laughs> we could talk all day, especially Joe. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Uh, before I cut this off, though, run through the websites where people can Yeah, can so healthysurprise.com is the subscription um, snack service we talked about. It's really uh, become really big as a gift, so people send them oh, um, nice. for Mother's Day or Christmas, Valentine's Day. Uh, and then we have givemethedirt.com, which is the uh, personal paleo care, uh, toothpaste, uh, Body oils, perfumes. By the way, paleo care, if people think that sounds silly, it isn't. Paleolithic people were cleaner than you are. (laughs) (laughs) People think hunter-gatherers are dirty savages. They're they're very clean. Very. had good sex lives. I read this book that explained it very (laughs) That's that's all bullshit. Um, And then we have jombosuperfoods.com, which uh, is where we have the... um, If you're in California... You could go to, uh, if you have a doctor's recommendation, you can go to a collective through the medical system and find us there. Uh, there's a store locator on the site. Um, and then we have all the uh, non-controlled um, truffles as well that we talked about right. in the daily ritual. And you sell those through the mail? Yeah, the all through the mail. Right. Yeah. And then right. I'm um, twitter.com slash Joe Winky. 
I'm shantastical on everything. <laughs> shantastical. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity to chat. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So there you have it. Joe Winky, Shantastical, Jambo Superfoods. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, before I sign off, one last shout out to uh, all our gay brothers and sisters, uh, non-heterosexual people who want to get married to each other. It's been a long time coming. And finally, even that bunch of old farts in the Supreme Court, five of them anyway, agree that uh, you've got the same rights to those tax privileges and uh, hospital room visiting privileges and inheritance privileges as everybody else. So uh, congratulations for that. Uh, It's amazing. I I actually found myself in a bear bar in the West Village a few years ago at the urinal, standing between Dan Savage and Andrew Sullivan, two of the pillars of the gay rights movement. And uh, Andrew Sullivan, in fact, wrote one of the earliest articles arguing for gay marriage. And at a time when even his allies in the gay rights movement were telling him to tone it down because that was never going to happen. Well, it has happened. And um, it was a privilege to be standing there at the urinal between those two gentlemen. And as I said at the time, this is a waste. It's wasted on me. Here I am between these two major figures in the gay rights movement, and I'm not even fucking gay, and each and they, they both had their dicks in their hands. My God, not to trivialize gay people at all, but it was just a funny situation to be in a bear bar with those two guys. Anyway, hope you enjoy that conversation, and uh, congratulations to our to gay listeners. You deserved it a long fucking time ago, but at least you got it now. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone, I don't wanna give the end away, but we're gonna die one day. Your body is an doesn't ask for much a little music and a soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a birdcage singing in your chest you want to shut it up but give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation If 
take you up in my arms And if we must go down We'll go singing to the smoke alarms We'll dance into the ground